I'm here with Christian Malinsky. I like to be known as Edgelock Ixra Nietzsche Kurtap. And if he doesn't give me his lunch money, I'm going to kick his ass after school and throw him in a locker and leave him there overnight. If he doesn't also give us a, a relevant quote about bullies, Kelly Wand. Dear President Wheeler, bully for you. I wish we had you as senator from a good many states. I guess there's nothing for me to bother myself anymore about in this particular matter. Sincerely yours, Theodore Roosevelt. Now, Kelly Wand, when we did this last night, because we haven't had this happen since Nicolas Cage's last Witch Hunter movie, uh, we were recording and we season lost... Season of the Witch Hunter. Go on. Yeah, yeah, Season of the Witch, right. That's, I'm, confusing, the I'm confusing... Exactly, my Vin and my Cage. Uh, I need to keep them straight. Uh, so you did that last night when the recording that we lost. We're redoing it now. And uh, I pointed out it sounded like Daniel Plainview, and I, I maintain that that's still the case. You do an excellent Daniel Plainview. I just want to hand it to you. That's the it's, – I do one voice per era, Tom. It's a lovely it's a, it's a lovely sort of generally like early 20th century voice, like pre-World War II. We all like this, Tom, Americans. <laughs> And who, I ask you, is more movie-related than Teddy Roosevelt? Kelly Wan, what do you get when you go to the soda fountain? A jerk. A soda jerk. No. Uh, I drink your soda jerk. <laughs> In Thailand, it's uh, about three baht, though. Kelly Wan, you're no, uh, you're no uh, P.T. Anderson. I've heard that before. <laughs> Although I am, unless it's the uh, other one, the other P.T. Anderson. The one do who said you, a sucker's born every minute and made Event Horizon. Do, do you have a second <laughs> bully-related quote before we uh, before I pose an important question to you, gentlemen? Bullying never has to do with you. It's the bully who's insecure. That's Remember lovely. that when you watch it, Chapter 2. Are you sorry you asked now? No, no, no. I, I enjoyed both of those quite a Come bit. Come on, bully for you is a quote for bullies. I'll tell you what I won't be sorry I ask, and that oh. is, oh. what movie have you guys seen? Uh, you segue last night way more than that one. I know, I know. Yeah, this has really got screwed on that point. Lightning in a bottle. You can't, you can't redo something like that. No. Nope. I'll go first because I'm gonna, I'm gonna mix it up on you guys. Last night I told you about a movie called Wounds, which is based on a Nathan Valengood short story. Uh, Kelly Wand and I are big fans of his writing. He's a horror writer, does short stories. Uh, there's an adaptation by a, a fellow from. Uh, an Iranian heritage fellow named uh, Banak Anvari, uh, and he did this this movie Wounds, an adaptation of the Ballingard story. And Kelly Wan and I really liked it. It's not for dingus, but instead of telling you guys about that again, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you about a movie I didn't like that I saw that mm. I'm I'm super bummed about because it's the guy that did Troll Hunter, and then he uh. went and he did uh, Autopsy of Jane Doe, which Kelly Wan loved. I just yeah. thought it was okay. Um, so his latest movie is called Scary Stories to... Wait. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? Is, that doesn't sound right. Is that right, Kelly Wand? Yeah. I should have looked it Someone up. Someone told me to 
see it like they liked it. Yeah, no, don't see it. I, uh, here's the don't problem. Do. And Kelly won this. I like Horror Story. You didn't like Horror Story, the Martin Freeman thing, that British thing. You were like, Ghost Stories. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Between the two of us, Kelly Wand will generally get an entire title correct. Uh, They're all the same title, though, if you look at it. Exactly, pretty much. Um, So here's the problem. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is kind of like It, but without a clown. Or That's the one good part. I know, right? Or imagine this. It's like a, a Goonies or Goosebumps level horror. Like, it's got kids in it, yeah. and the kids make everything safe and non-threatening. Right. Yeah. And they it also... kids. There, it takes... It, it's also a Stranger Things. Also, it reminded me of that, but it's and, shorter than Stranger Things. It's got that going for it. Uh, takes a no long... bullies? Pardon? No bullies in it? No, no, there's like a bully in it. One of the main characters is a bully. Actually, here's the intriguing thing about Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I thought was pretty promising up front. It's a period piece. It's set in 1968. Uh, it opens with the bully character enlisting to go to Vietnam, and he's it's 68, so he's super psyched about it. You know, this disillusionment about Vietnam hasn't kicked in yet. Uh, and there's, there's references to Nixon, and of course it's all pre-Watergate. So it's sort of like the last gasp of optimism before the 60s and 70s really kicked in. Uh, so, but then like it doesn't – Like once upon a time in Hollywood. But then, no, 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 because then it does nothing with the setting, nothing oh. at all. There's nothing later on in this movie that couldn't have been transplanted to modern day or the 50s or the 80s or whatever. Uh and, and here's the problem with it. Uh, Guillermo del Toro is credited as one of the screenwriters, which normally would be great, but the only sign I saw of Guillermo del Toro is that late in the movie, and it takes a long time to get underway, so you got to sit around for a lot of exposition and kids doing research. you got to sit around for a lot of that before What's eventually – research. Yeah, you know, they're like there's there's a scary house and they do all the exposition about, oh, where did the house come from? And, oh, we're going to now find out about the girl that that died there many years ago and, and she was locked in the attic. And, yeah, not like – it's 68, Kelly Wan. They're not Googling stuff. They're discovering it as they That's go. That's how kids do research in modern movies. Right, exactly. Yeah, they do it on the, and they do it on their phones. They don't have to be at a computer. So these kids – Humphrey they Bogart do, would be doing investigating cases on his phone if they were made now. Exactly right. He would just he, right. He would just be an IT fella. Uh, he would yeah, hack someone's cell phone. He would be uh, played by. Um, I want to pretend it's still Josh him Gad. Doing it. Say his name again, Josh Gad. <laughs> Gad. Yeah. Gad. Just thinking of like a nerd, a, kel- a fellow who would play a nerd. Um, but at any rate, so I want to tell you guys. So the kids find a book, <laughs> and in this book. Stories are being written in real time, like with magical uh. red ink. And as the stories happen, they also happen in the real world. So the book starts. The, the book starts targeting the different kids with these terrible fates, and these fates will involve. And this is the only trace of Guillermo del Toro, and it was kind of entertaining, but not enough to compensate for watching the rest of the movie. These fates tend to involve like a, a monsters, or they, you know what? They're all. All of their their terrible fates are CG based. Like one girl, uh, that's lame. One girl, she has a bump on her face, like a zit, and she's like worried mm. about you know being pretty and going to prom or whatever. And Body the zit horror. gets, and the zit gets bigger and bigger, and eventually erupts into. Do you guys want to guess? Um, a, a loser kid, like a fat kid. That's. That Dingus, you have any guesses? Uh, mayonnaise. Pig blood. 
No, they're spiders. I thought, come on, you guys. You guys know the urban legend. Anyway, spiders come uh, busting out of her face, and it's all just CG stuff. That's and the actress... an urban legend about a prom queen? Uh, there's an urban legend about, you know, like a spider will lay eggs in your skin, and then it'll grow, and, and a bunch oh, of baby right, spiders right. will explode okay. out. Yeah. Um, I like that one. But generally, the other kids are tracked down by some freaky-looking monster design, which is admittedly kind of cool. Um, but the monsters don't really do anything. They just look scary, and they plod after whatever child it's it's tracking down. Uh, and, you know, one of them's like, it does like the crab walk, like in The Exorcist. Another one is a big old huge, and it, it's like a doughy-faced kind of grimace thing, but with a weird, scary, like something that would be in a Japanese horror movie, uh, just smiling face. Does it have dark eyes or mouth? No, so I don't mind dark eyes. Dingus hates the dark eyes. I just don't like things that open their mouths really big. You're uh, scared by it, and Dingus thinks they're stupid. Like, that's the difference, though. You think the mouths are scary. And they are scary, but Dingus is bored by dark eyes. Well, I think Dingus... No, I think Dingus hates them because he's afraid of them, and he doesn't understand them. No. The dark eyes. Dingus isn't scared of ghosts. Look at him. But first of all, it, it's not the ghosts that have dark eyes. It's people possessed, Kelly Wand. It's ghosts and grave encounters. Dingus, can you say the name of the guy who directed uh, Troll Hunter? No, I cannot. Because it's a it's a difficult one. So uh, his rebuttaled everything we just said about him. Uh, Andre <laughs> Ovridal is his name. He's oh, uh, that's an awesome name. Yeah, I think he's Norwegian, and he directed Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which I did not care for. And it I sounds would... like a lame version of those. Hammer movies like Tales of Terror, or the one with Joan Collins, where it's like an anthology, and each of them you find out how they're gonna die. But it all has—they're all kind of flawed people, so it's sort of—and the the fates that await them are a little more. It has—it's more tied with their personalities. Kind of. I think there's the kernel of a cool idea there—the idea of writing a story that's actually taking place in real time. Yeah. Oh, you guys didn't see the Goosebumps movie, I guess. Oh well. No, but maybe you'll maybe you'll not, love that. <laughs> where the demon's drawing a card for you. It says ready or not on it. All right. Why so, would you draw a card? He could just pull one out. So I saw that. Don't recommend it. Uh, I would now like Kelly to tell us a movie he's seen recently. Uh, I watched Stuber on the plane from Hamburg to Los Angeles. Huh? How'd that work out for you? Did you? You didn't? Did you see it? What do you think, Kelly Wand? I think you saw it and you didn't like it, but I can't remember. I, I liked it quite a bit because I like Dave Bautista. I dude, I loved him, and I thought they had really good chemistry. And yep. I remember reading, I saw, like, like it got really negative reviews, but the negative reviews I noticed, they all was like, it's too violent. And I'm like, what? That's why it's bad? <laughs> all right, I'm in. And so I went, it's, the premise is hysterical. Like, he has LASIK surgery, that's why he's blind. I, I just it think just that deputizes <laughs> you're right about their chemistry and there's such a sweet and sour thing going where mm. uh you, you know kumail nanjiani is he, he's kind of droll but he's earnest and he's the nice guy and kind of nebbishy and nerdy uh he's not as arrogant and uh he's not as big of a dick as he is like in silicon valley so in, in this he's much more sort of sympathetic uh, and Dave Bautista, of course, being brash, and they set him up as being like a lovable dad, and he did, he's like a big old teddy bear in this, isn't he? Oh yeah, they look as, they look funny as shit together, and yeah. in that little car, yeah. And, um, 
when he does uh, Stuber's torturing someone by sticking his thumb in a bullet wound, and then Kumail goes, use your mind instead of, I don't, I don't know what that accent is, but <laughs> wow. he takes the guy's phone and goes, I love Ryan Gosling. I love the notebook. Hey, you, I love. You need to point what? out he's using Twitter. <laughs> oh yeah, he's using Twitter to type this <laughs> on the guy's phone, right? <laughs> he's like a tough gangbanger guy, a super like tough Hispanic fella who's like a murderer and a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. Camille Nanjiani is using his account to tweet out stuff about loving Ryan Gosling movies. Yeah. <laughs> and specifically, he goes, he, he's as he said, he's all la, la, land. Like, and that's his example of using brains as opposed to Dave Bautista's. It, it's in this universe, Kelly Wand, it totally works because it's what crack, it, what's what makes the guy crack. Yeah. Yeah. The only part I didn't like is um, at the end, the daughter uh, makes Dave Bautista stop strangling the villain. She's all, no, that's not who you are. Instead of, because. That guy killed his partner and was going to kill her and everyone. And then it's like, no, Dave Bautista, you're too. Well, it's don't, not that. Don't let it. Yeah, it's not that kind of movie. What? Uh, you can't kill a villain anymore without uh, does, the daughter going. Nope, oh. not even the main villain who's the, the traitor. Like, she, she gets arrested. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. Plus, <clears throat> Kelly Wan, do you know who that guy is? It's not like his character was like a violent man. Like, oh, he's got to learn restraint. That wasn't set up. Uh, no, I didn't know who he was. He looked a little bit like the guy, the kid, the virgin kid in um, Meet the Millers. Or were the Millers? The villain did? I thought so. He looked like Will Poulter? <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, not all. So he plane screen on a large plane. I, I'm not going to be able to say his name, but he's an Indonesian fellow who was made famous in that raid, that movie The Raid. Uh, and he's in all kinds of things. Which now. I like a lot more than you did, even though right. there's no characters. But I like the idea of that movie. Yeah, but, but they, they presumably hired him because he's really good at, at martial arts and he has some fight scenes with Dave Bautista. But unfortunately, it's a bunch of like edited, chopped up, shaky cam stuff. So they don't they don't make very good use of this guy as a villain, I think. No, he wasn't a good villain. But the dialogue between Kumail and Dave Bautista was pretty – I thought it was way better than it got credit for. Anyway. I I think part of the problem, like I love that it was R-rated, like they could yeah. drop f bombs and there could be blood, and I, I I think that maybe folks expected it was going to be like a light family vehicle, but it was it, as far as I'm concerned. But people well, are fucking up tight, I guess. I don't I don't think I, I think Dave Bautista isn't trying to pigeonhole himself like say The Rock would, like say Dwayne Johnson. Like I think Dwayne Johnson doesn't want to do. What was there anything bold in the the Baywatch movie? That Dwayne Johnson did? No. Yeah. So it's, I think Dave Bautista, like, point. sticking his fingers in somebody's bullet wound and uh, hijacking a car and just shooting people, like, he's willing to do, like, edgier R-rated stuff, I, I think. Like, could you imagine Dwayne Johnson doing a part like the opening of Blade Runner 2049? No. Yeah, I can't either. Uh, he's just too good-natured and lovable and family-friendly. And I think Dave Bautista, despite the fact that I watch him and I can't help but think of Drax... I think Dave Bautista doesn't feel like he needs to stay in that niche. So Right, I he, like that more. I yeah. support yeah, the Dave Bautista. I think The Rock missed the boat. <laughs> like he's too tooth fairy. All right. Well, when he's the governor of California, you'll have to let him know. No, Dave Bautista should be governor. <laughs> he, can, he can Dingus, do you have any desire to see Stuber? Uh at first I thought it was you guys were talking about 
a, like a sequel to MacGruber. Oh, that would be so good. They rhyme, and they're both excellent. D- Dingus, right. excellent call, yeah. They both have vehicular mishaps. So that makes you want to see it, right, Dingus? Yes. You you would appreciate Stuper, though. I, I do think it's something that you should not necessarily put to the top of your list, but uh, definitely consider checking out. It has elements that would make you enjoy it. What is the Rock uh, movie where he's like a truck driver who goes Snitch. to prison? Snitch. Snitch, yeah. Does he try to be gritty there? You know, they are because it's, it's kind of like – and he even did a remake of Walking Tall where he's supposed to be Buford Pusser, didn't he? Um, he's gritty and faster too where he goes to the hospital ah, to shoot that guy after he doesn't kill him the first That's time. probably – the faster's probably the grittiest because I don't recall Snitch, and I don't think I saw the Walking Tall remake. I don't recall either of those feeling dark or edgy in any way. Like, yeah, oh. it's just the rock. He's being wholesome, but – it's just his motivation is a little bit more grim in those movies. But Hobbs and Shaw and San Andreas is, and uh, Skyscraper, that's all the same lame, boring, bland character. Right, exactly. It's the, the, the Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson, Johnson in a generic Harrison action. Harrison Ford would never stoop to play. <laughs> Stoop. Range, man. Stooper. Stuber. Because his name's Stu Dingus, but he's an Uber driver, so it's a, it's a slur that... The bullies in the movie call him Stuber. So the yep. movie's made making fun of its main character. I picked up on that, but I just thought Stuber sounded funny. All right, well, Dingus, I now need to know, what's the movie that you've seen recently? All right, well, I saw First Man. Oh, because Kelly wanted us to see it. Because yes. Kyle Chandler's in it, mainly. But also I kind of forgot that, actually. <laughs> but also because Kelly wanted me to see it and yeah. wanted us to see it. Um, and Thank because it's Damien Chazelle, mm-hmm. um, three for three. Who, we, who we know is the writer of Last Exorcism Part Two. That's right, and that's mainly why I saw it because Four of that, not those other reasons. Forget those. Can I tell um, you guys a real quick anecdote before Dingus talks about Damien Chazelle's First Man? Please do. I play a lot of board games, and a lot of playing board games involves going to a website called Board Game Geek and looking up rules. Uh, there's like it's like a community sense of this rule is confusing. How do we figure out what what it is? So I was looking up the rules for this game I bought recently, and uh, I'm reading a thread, and there's a fella in there who's answering some questions. He's very What's knowledgeable. The game? Uh, doesn't matter. Who's very knowledgeable about the particular game, and I look at his at, at his name on the post and his name is ed gas slash gas dash donnelly ed gas donnelly does that ring any bells for you guys no he's a canadian filmmaker who did a movie called small town murders and then he directed a damien chazelle script called last exorcism part two that Uh. i am hugely fond of and you jokers didn't appreciate well enough so i liked it the dude is totally into board games. Of course it was him, and I, I couldn't help but send him a little message on the site saying, I'm sorry to do this, but I really, really like Last Exorcism Part Two. I listed some reasons why I liked it and said, I just had to let you know that, and if you're ever in L.A. and want to play board games, I know it's weird, but send me a message. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Nothing. I just Sounds wanted... like a... All right. I just feel the need, like I, I, for a long time, like when I see somebody who's like, when you know, when I see a celebrity who's famous, I don't want to bother him. But when I see someone who's not necessarily a big celebrity, I've decided that I, because I've very and you're into board games. I've like, tw- 
Yeah. Well, okay. So, so at any rate, I just wanted to let you guys know about no, that. No, no. So, you were like, what? What I, is it? No, so I just – I was saying I know famous people. If you guys wanted to talk oh. to the director of Last Exorcism Part 2 – that's the takeaway of that story. <laughs> All right, so Dingus, uh, since <laughs> since Last Exorcism Part Two, Damien Chazelle's done a little movie called Whiplash, and then La La Land, and then he did some boring biopic, right? Um, I I was hoping that you also tweeted to him that you really love Ryan Gosling. I don't. That's Dingus. It only works if there's a, like a hardcore Mexican gangbanger involved. Oh, that guy's not. <laughs> He's Canadian. What do you think? Dingus, it's two guys hanging out on Board Game Geek. I mean, I don't know. There's nothing shameful going on here. Uh, I didn't find it to be – I didn't find it to be a boring biopic at all, actually. Um, I just didn't think there was anything in it that I hadn't already seen before. Oh, Uh, snap. That's that's Dingus' biggest, like, criticism. That's Dingus' slap down. I mean, some of the – It's really not a dumb criticism. No. Um, no, it's okay. not a dumb criticism. Yeah, I mean, the the words "that's a dumb criticism" are a dumb criticism. Oh snap! That's another thing is slapped down. Not Kelly a Wong. dumb criticism. <laughs> um, Mine's dumb too. I'll grant you. The uh, the music. There's some music in it that actually works really well, um, but I didn't think there was anything in it that I hadn't already seen before. I mean, I really liked uh, some of the things that happen in it. I like the way it's done. I think it's done with with great craft. Um, but overall, I, I don't know. It it didn't do anything more for me than Apollo 13 did for me. Now, what happened is this great thing happened, uh, that, uh, we have um, a mutual friend, Charles, that we also call Troy because one of those is his real name and one of them is not, um, said that he had seen it and he really, he liked it. Uh, it took a long time to get where it was going, uh, but it really gives you a sense of um, suspense when you know what's going to happen anyway. And I do like that about a, yeah. a movie like this, that a, a movie can give you suspense even when you know what's going to happen. But he suggested that I also watch a movie that Tom won't even consider a movie called Apollo 11 which is a documentary and which and I'm I'm a total sucker for these types of movies. Uh I just love the space program. I love watching movies about the space program and even something as dopey as The Martian I'll watch. But uh but the documentary of Apollo 11 makes a really wonderful companion piece for First Man, especially if you watch First Man first because there's so many images that come directly from a lot of that footage like when he he did some things okay here's here's an example of something that i hadn't seen before that that lunar lander that he uses out in the desert uh i hadn't seen that before and i thought that was really interesting that there was a there was an earthbound lunar lander that that he uses that's sort of open cabined that he tries to teach himself to land with um and then the explosion behind him is a direct visual quote of of an actual photograph uh that that i actually that you can see in apollo 11 um and i i I just found apollo 11 to be breathtaking um but that has more to do with me and my love of the space program than it has to do with anything else um i mean i i liked first man plenty how did you feel about it tom what makes you think i saw it i just i have a feeling (laughs) 
Now, because I, because we had the power outage and I knew you were going to talk about it, I, I did watch it today. Um, I really liked it, Dingus, and I, I, I don't want to agree with Kelly's phrasing, but you, you do – like I don't mind seeing things that have been done before if they're done from a different perspective or at least mm-hmm. with a different tweak. And I felt there were enough distinctions here as far as this kind of reverential story of the American space program that I really liked it. And, and the things that I would say were unique that I feel that Damien Chazelle provided, first of all – and and I, I'm – I. I, I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't be the least surprised if you didn't like it. I'm a little surprised that you kind of just mentioned it uh, with minor approval. But I was absolutely in love with Justin Hurwitz's score because it reminded me so much of La La Land. Hmm. Like, because it's the same guy who did the music for uh, Damien Chazelle and La La Land, and it provided the whole thing with this kind of uh, dreamlike fairy tale quality, and it was. It, yeah. it was playful and melodic. Mm. Uh, it it felt like La La Land sort of inching towards Hans Zimmer. <laughs> and I really <laughs> – I loved that about it. So I was completely won over by that uh, aural aspect of it, the, the, the music. Um, and then the other thing that I really liked uh, – and, and by the way, and I feel that that's Damien Chazelle's unique appreciation for music, which is obvious from Whiplash and, and La La Land – um, so when you come to Damien Chazelle and you're like, hey, let's make a biopic about Neil Armstrong, and you give him whatever script he had. I, I didn't recognize the writer's name. Uh, so Damien Chazelle pro- approaches it. Uh, if you're going to make a story about a pragmatic, level-headed engineer Laconic, who, too. who – yeah who is also an emotionally reserved father and husband. Like, how do you put that on screen without making it tedious? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I just him. and I just thought this this was a, a way to do it, is make him the through line for the space program. Uh, let some of the other characters kind of orbit around him, because I love the cast in it. You know, like, yeah. like, like seeing uh, Christopher Abbott and Jason Clark, uh, Patrick Fugit, um, who was uh, O'Shea Wiggum? Uh, I loved everyone in this. Claire Foy, by the way, you jerks still haven't seen Wolf Hall, but I love that woman. She's amazing uh, in Wolf Hall as Anne Bolin. She plays the wife here, which is normally such a thankless part. Um, uh, but when well, she, I, I loved her, yeah, and I yeah. liked Pablo Schreiber too. Yes, exactly, exactly. Another good call. Yeah, another. I love seeing that these people show up. Um, so, and, and another thing I'd never seen Dingus is. Um, the you know the 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 obligatory uh, patient suffering wife staying at home scene when she says to him look you and, and this is where the movie it's PG thirteen and this is where the movie gets its f bomb when she says to him something like no fucking way you're not leaving until you sit down and tell those kids you might not come back like mm. I loved the, that she wasn't just the sixties patient housewife mm. that that was the line that she drew and that she wasn't going to go with him. She wasn't going to allow him to do that. I loved that scene. And even, even too, just how kind of bad he was at it when he finally did do it. The movie yeah. didn't turn him into some like heroic, awesome father at that no. point. Um, He's still not good at it. Yeah. Uh, I really like the poetry of the daughter and the locket. And the, like, even if that's completely fabricated, which I'll assume it is, but I don't know. It was kind of affecting for me. I didn't like that because I, I saw yeah. it coming a mile off. Yeah, it's kind of predictable, I guess. 
Uh, and but, you know, again, and now I, I I agree with both of your criticisms. I was a little harsh on Kelly, but uh, but I I do have a tendency to say that kind of thing. But by and large, I agree with you in that if it's done properly, I don't mind seeing uh, things retreated. Uh, that's kind of a dismissive way of putting it, and I don't mean it that way necessarily. It's just that I've it. it this particular thing didn't do the kind of things that sure. it did for you guys. Sure. Uh, but I totally see what you're saying about the music because there were there were a couple of of touches that uh, he puts into the score that you even think if you if you're listening to it isolated, which I've done, uh, y- you have a hard time believing that this would be a score for this particular right. movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I and I do really like that about it. Yeah. And. Dingus, didn't you appreciate though? Like I, it wasn't a procedural at all, by the way, and that's why I think it's great that you recommend Apollo Eleven, a documentary as a companion feature, because the the sequences they kind of reminded me, and I don't mean to elevate this the movie I'm going to bring up in comparison so much, but they kind of reminded me. What was that Peter Berg movie about the oil platform, Deep Horizon? No, Deep Sea Horizon. Deep water horizon. Yes, exactly. So that movie's not a procedural about oil rigs. It just shows these men going about their business and lets you sort of pick up what's going on by their tone yeah, of voice. That. And and so the, the space sequences in this were the same way. Is there was no procedural stuff. Uh, you just watched them looking at gauges and flipping switches uh, and and being professional. Um, I, I really like listen to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I liked that approach a lot for the action sequences, and also just this is a movie. I, I, it's one of those things you watch, and I was like, man, I wish I'd seen this in a theater specifically for. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, uh, imagining you, poor Kelly Wand, watching it on a plane, on a little screen. Ugh. And it still got to me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Maybe because I'm in space too. In a way. <laughs> you were, you were closer, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I felt like Gosling, but I really am. I'm so drawn to those kinds of characters because you never see them in movies. Like, like you said, like the guy who doesn't say the perfect thing, and he's he he looks kind of close. Because I read negative reviews of this movie. Like he's just he's not connecting. It's like, no, that's why it's good. Kelly, you just made me realize that. My problem with biopics so often is that I feel there's an agenda or a whitewashing yeah. going on because a lot well, of times they're because a lot of times they're about people who are still alive and so I watch them and think, eh, yeah. they were probably advising the film or the script didn't want to offend them to get their permission. I didn't feel that like it, this movie was perfectly willing to portray Neil Armstrong. This this wasn't a, a pay in to him. It was presenting no, him as a flawed a human being. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He supposedly uh, left his wife. For another lady too, like kind of early on, like in the 1970s. Well, I, mean, I, I really do like the little bits, like his answer to uh, to Zeke's question, like why why is going to space important? Yeah, yeah. and and his answer is this: it, it almost rambles, but it's poetic in its yeah. way. And in in this this idea of what perspective means to us. Uh, as far as a function of exploration is concerned, but he gets there in his way. He's just unlike the the uh, the ham handedness of uh, Contact, where <laughs> she's like, well, "You should have said a poet." Um, right. <laughs> he, yeah. He, exactly. Yeah. His words have an odd poetry to them, although they're halting, and I loved that about his answer and and the. 
the kind of stunned silence in the room that some of the men there are like, oh, no. But but the ones who make the decision really go, OK, this is our guy. And and yeah. I and I don't know why I forgot I'd forgotten this going in, but just the idea that he's a civilian. Um, right. And the importance of that and and what what role that plays in the movie and, and how that's introduced um, I, a, I I really like that. That's a great scene that also kind of reminded me of La La Land, <laughs> where he's sitting uh, in the hall waiting to go <laughs> in and, and have the meeting, and all these guys are in in uh, military officer outfits, and he's just right. in a suit. It's like uh, Emma Stone going into her audition in La La Land. Very uh, good, very good. Yeah. yeah. I forget uh, the line, but that thing where he uh, where he has to learn stuff that. He has to learn stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know. And he reads something, and he's telling his wife, like, hey, yeah, when you go above a certain... Altitude. Oh, no, he says it's neat. Yeah, he just yeah, yeah, he says it's neat because you have to decelerate in order to do a certain thing, and she's like, yeah, it's neat. And well, they, la- they kind of laugh. I love that. Yeah, love yeah. That. Um, all right, so uh, first man, so uh, not so much for Dingus, for me and Kelly Wand, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark for no one, um, and... <laughs> Uh, and Stuber, I think for all of us. So Dingus, yeah. get on the get on the Stuber train. Don't miss Stuber, Dingus. Yeah, you missed the McGruber train. Don't miss the Stuber train. Don't get re-Stubered like <laughs> McGruber. All right. Enough of this nonsense about space and Neil yeah, Armstrong and Uber. Serious. Exactly, Kelly Wan. What is this month's three by three? Three Tell- best bullies in movies. Huh. Interesting. Because <laughs> I love bullies as characters. I love their. There's a really funny bully kid in the Wet Hot American Summer prequel. He's like, he's like, why do you, why do you act like that? Like, because I can. But he's like a little. He's like an angry red-haired kid. I think red-haired kids are the best bullies. I know. Why, why don't you just give us a bunch of examples <laughs> of bullies right now? Well, also Kelly, we'd seen a bunch of movies with just crappy bullies, like, and and so I think this inspired your topic as well as we'd seen so many lame bullies so let's talk about some good bullies exactly (laughs) right yeah so take the word back tom exactly let's let's reclaim a bullyism by having dingus start with his third favorite bully uh i'm gonna start with an actor that tom cannot abide real quick dingus Um, hold on real quick before you bring up who i know you're gonna probably bring up uh another thing in in uh first man uh cory stoll i know you love him showing up as much Uh, as i do Yes. Yeah, I, I love his sort of weird effervescence that he carries through in this character, especially when they're on stage for this one part that's uh, that's this sort of press conference. And uh, Neil can't quite answer the question. And, and, he, and he's like, I'll take it from here. <laughs> and he makes a joke about it, bringing his wife's jewelry to the moon and stuff like that. And he's utterly charming. Yeah. Um, and, Classic stole. And Neil's just like, ugh. All right, so uh, let's get to bullies, Dingus. You're, you want to talk about an actor that I apparently don't like. I can't imagine who this might be. All right, this is uh, this actor's name is Ken Jeong. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Anselm Elgort. I, okay. No, nope. this, this is Dr. Ken Jeong. And, he, and the, uh, the bully in question is King Argatron from the movie Role Models. Um, 
and I absolutely so I, I tried to avoid uh, and you didn't have to do this. I just made this a test for myself. I tried to avoid bosses because because uh, I thought that would maybe be a different category or older brothers or that kind of thing. Um, so I went with this with King Argatron, who's uh, the guy who is the leader of one of the clans in this. I don't know what you guys would call. What do you call that? LARPing. that? Live LARPing, action role playing LARPing, yeah. Like this LARPing group, and he's and he's a total jerk to uh, Augie, who's played by Christopher Mintzplass, and and eventually also a jerk to the uh, the role models, uh, the titular role models, who have to you know Paul Reiser goes into the, I mean the quote from it would be now get out of my burger hole boy, uh, he goes into the this place where they're where he's having where King Argatron is having breakfast with his minions before their major their major LARP match tournament thing. And he's banned uh, Augie from the tournament because Augie has dared stand up against him and he's constantly putting his foot on Augie's neck, basically. Augie's better at this than he is, but he belittles him and lies about um, who won certain battles that they're supposed to fight there's there's this there's this uh there's supposed to be a sense of honor about these things this this idea of well if we have a fight off in the woods we're going to be honest about who actually won the fight um and he never is he's just a jerk king and so paul riser asks that christopher mintz be admitted back into the um back into the tournament and has to kiss uh, King Argatron's ring in this, uh, basically what amounts to a Bob's Big Boy or an IHOP. And he says, get out of my burger hole, boy. And he just belittles all the other people. And I, I love I love that that way that he bullies because I I like non-conventional bullies that yeah. that aren't like the the big jock kind of a guy. Um, I also tried to avoid like that Stephen King thing that we already talked about. Um, and Ken Jeong is not somebody that I would find that threatening in any way or intimidating, but he has that sort of Napoleon complex kind of thing going on for him. So you brought up role models last week, Tom, and I watched that again. I just, I have such an affection for that movie. Uh, it's Sean William Scott and Paul Rudd, right? Yes. Yeah. Sean William Scott just did – what do you think of this for casting thing? Is uh, He just did a movie where he plays uh, like a, a family man who – you know, but on the surface he looks totally normal. He's actually like a counselor at a high school. But at night he's an evil serial killer who goes out what? and tortures and murders people. What do you think of that as a Sean William Scott performance? Is he a funny serial no, killer? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, Serious and grim and R-rated and gory and bloody. What do you think, huh. Dingus? I don't know if that's gonna work. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> I didn't think so. Yeah. Does he's he little... act like Stifler, or is he kind of soft? No, no. He's trying. To, it's, it's definitely Sean William Scott trying to be like serious, and uh, here's my like serious performance. Uh, unfortunately. You hate to see that. I do uh, like him a lot, though. Like, he's won me over since, since uh, American Pie. No, I like, I like, come on. Yeah, like, like, you know, we love him in Goon, and I like seeing him try yeah. to do different things like Southland Tales. But uh, this, it doesn't help that the movie's dumb. Uh, but he's, he's good in role models, and I like the black kid, too. His, yeah. his uh, charge. So, like Tom, him. do you remember who directed role models? No, I was going to yeah. ask you, is it anyone know. we know? Kelly Wand, who? Tell me, and then I'll tell Dingus I remember. Someone else you hate. 
Who? That's your hit. Who's your least favorite director besides... Anselm uh, Elgort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Kelly Wan has already mentioned something that he was involved in Wet Hot American Summer, I believe. Oh, him? Yeah. Uh, 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 Michael Wayne? David. David Wayne. David Wayne. He also Ugh. directed They Came Together, a great film that you're too dumb. Oh my god, for. They Came Together and, and Role Models is the same director? Yeah, he's two for two, Tom. That your criticism's dumb. Oh, you've blown my mind. I, I don't know. <laughs> you could say that again. Oh, I don't know what to make of that. Dumb All right. Fool, Tom. <laughs> wow. Uh, come on, you don't like rainy days. Well, I'm guessing. I'm you don't guessing. Like Stella? I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess that uh, that he wrote. They came together, but he directed someone else's script in Role Models. That's my guess. Uh, right? You are correct, so. sir. Yeah. yeah. Yes. yeah. Because Role Models does not sound like a, a David Wayne script, so it's him doing his country album, Tom. <sighs> what? You know, I Kelly Wan, one of these days, just for you, I'm gonna rewatch They Came Together and see if I still oh. hate it as much as I think. It's on I my do. top ten list, and that's not an easy list to get on. Right. Speech. Speaking of easy lists <laughs> to get on. I couldn't uh, really come up with many bullies that I actually liked, which is what I wanted to do. Because normally yeah. bullies are just dumb, jerky characters, and you're supposed to hate them. So I instead am going to talk about bullies that are actually my favorite bullies that I really like. Hmm. And here's what here's what I did, though, is I had to come up, like Dingus, I didn't – like there's so many ways. You could just – plenty of people bully other people, but what I did for my list – was I wanted it to be a classical definition of a bully, which is someone who just derives pleasure from antagonizing someone who's weaker for no reason other than the, the pleasure of it. Um, so unfortunately, though, this bully is an older brother bully, and it is a famous one. So there's obviously some fraternal stuff going on there, but I do think that Chet bullies his younger <laughs> brother just because he enjoys it, just oh, for the pleasure of it. So I, I rewatched Weird Science, and I have a question to ask you guys. Are all John Hughes movies this bad? Yes. Uh, oh, Science my God. Is good. And they, he wrote Vacation. Weird Science is awful. Yeah, it's not a good one, but Chet's hysterical. Chet's a great character. Well, here's why he's my favorite bully is I just have so much fondness for Bill Paxton. Uh, yeah. I like just how he's goofing off in this. He has like, awesome dialogue. He has awesome dialogue, and he's got a big sandwich. old gap between his teeth, and he's got dumb hair. Uh, and here's the main reason I like him. The main the, the, the fundamental fact about weird science that I would present to anyone who wants to know about this movie is that Anthony Michael Hall is the most fucking annoying, snotty actor you will ever encounter in all of filmdom, at least for the 80s. You know, he grew up, we, we saw him recently in War Machine, he's kind of like fleshed out, and he played this meaty jarhead aide-de-camp for, for Brad Pitt's character, and I loved him in that, that was cool seeing that. But man, oh my god, when he was this snotty teenager, oh, I've never wanted to punch someone in the face you almost like as hard as Ansel. You didn't like Sixteen Candles? No, I should I should watch it again. So. What about Breakfast Club? I have not seen those in forever, which is why I was asking about uh, um, if, are all John Jason? Hughes movies annoying? So. Yeah, but Anthony Michael Hall, I think that I think you're right though. I think that's the movie where he jumped the shark and he's supposed to be because his hair is kind of annoying in it. Like you can't uh, he, tell what he's he, what kind of person he is. From the way uh, 
I think the problem is he thinks he's really funny, and the people shooting the movie let him think he's really funny. There's an extended sequence where he does this lisping, drunk black man argot. Uh, that's and boy, what it is. Boy, they think that's hilarious. They let that go on forever. Uh, yeah. So I'm glad that Bill Paxton bullies him. Uh, it's just so nice seeing like a young Bill Paxton, and it makes me feel sad that he's dead. But it also just makes me remember how much I loved him in Aliens. Um, so, yeah, so there's my third favorite bully, and it's a bully that I actually like. So, Kelly Wand, what is your third favorite bully in a movie? Uh, that's an epic one. Both of yours are good. Uh, my number three, I kind of did the same thing. I went with and what Dingus said, like unconventional bullies or bullies with more texture than you would expect. And my number three is Buddy Ravel from 3 O'Clock High, who is oh. going to fight Casey Samazko. Which I never saw that guy in another movie again, but I remember. He's in a movie with Burt Reynolds that's pretty good called Breaking In. Isn't he in Young Guns? Oh, yeah, I remember. I did see that. What? Isn't he in Young Guns? Yeah, okay. So I've seen three. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen. I like all three of them. Have you seen John Sayles' Limbo? No. Because he's the precipitate. He's the character who sort of precipitates the uh, disaster in that movie. Yeah. He seems good, and I really like his character in 3 O'Clock High. He's kind of benign, and uh, he's not, like, just a dorky, nerdy, like, picked on. Like, it's just, I think it's one of those movies where it's it's, it's a riff on um, High Noon, and he kind of gets embroiled through, like, just bad circumstances, if I remember right. But the reason Buddy Ravel's cool, like, he's kind of, he's kind of a handsome bully, if I remember right. Like, he's kind of cool. Like he's kind of like Jed Nelson's Breakfast Club character, but just bullish, and he's very feared throughout the school. But in the third act, Casey Samosko is getting out of the fight somehow, and some technicality, like he's found a solution. And Buddy Ravel like comes and sits next to him in the gym, and he gives him a speech. Buddy Ravel does, and he's like, "You didn't even try." And he kind of shames him into taking on the fight, even though he's super bigger than Casey Samosko, and it winds up. Casey Samosko like agrees and like they start they he like comes out to the fight like that's the, that's the third act twist. Wait, the bully convinces him to come out to the fight like by by talking he, him into it. Yeah. Oh, must and be a pretty charismatic he's, bully. He's super charismatic, and and the speech is kind of poignant, and it's like, dude, come on. But he did. He, but he, he's not gonna throw the fight, and it's still uh, it's a great fight too. It's actually one of my favorite fights in movies. It's up there with um, what's the Roddy Piper, John Carpenter, Keith David. They live. They live. Yeah, the one good part of they live. What's great about the fight in Three O'clock High? It's just really well choreographed, and it's like a really epic climax. And I remember, I don't want to spoil it because you might watch it, but I remember like the 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 Deus Ex Machina. (laughs) It's just good. Like there, it's there's there's several sequences to it. It's a very involved, complex uh, finale. The, at the fight scene at the end of Three O'clock High. It's worth seeing the whole movie and especially that fight. Uh, I think I just now realized for many many years I've been conflating My Bodyguard and Three O'clock High. My Bodyguard's kind of more schmaltzy and less surreal. Like it's not riffing on High Noon or anything. Right. And also, it has a really kind of bad news bears goes to Japan subplot where he gets really involved in the bodyguards, Fonzie eating ravioli and on Christmas Eve. Kind of like, oh, he's from the streets, man. My bodyguard's got problems, too. Like, dude, come on. 
Who cares? And the bully in that sucks. The My Bodyguard bully is nowhere near as interesting as Buddy Ravel. Uh, did anyone famous direct Three O'Clock High? No. I'll, I'll say it's Nina Samasko. And Joan Cusack did the cinematography. And John Cusack uh, was, he pulled focus. But none of that's true. All right. I well, guess it doesn't much. have to be true. This isn't fucking That's true. Either. That is very it's true. A movie podcast. What do you want? Come on. Dingus, I have a question for you. What is a quote from your second favorite movie bullies movie? Well, first of all, uh, Three O'Clock High was directed by the director of a, a U2 movie. Rattle. Oh, Bill Janot. Yeah. Oh. Right. Damn it. Man. All right. Wow. Dingus. So it's early Janot. Wow. Yeah, but not as early as State of Grace, which is a movie I actually love quite a bit. Sean Penn. Yeah, I like that movie. Was that his last movie? Oh, I have no idea. Bill Janot. I have no idea. Wow. See, I knew that Dingus, but I forgot I knew it. That's all right. Bad. Here's a, here's a quote from my number two movie, Bully. Uh, you guys know what I did to get in here. I taped Larry Lester's buns together. <laughs> I think if there's a character named Larry Lester in a movie, I would remember the movie, but I don't. All right. So this I, I chose <laughs> specifically for Kelly Wand because yeah. this bully gets a redemption. And I know Kelly loves redemption in his characters in movies. And uh, this is also a John Hughes movie oh. known <laughs> as – the Breakfast Club. And so the bully in this movie is actually Emilio Estevez's character, Andrew Clark. And Andrew Clark has been uh, sent into detention. Of course, we know the Breakfast Club is uh, they're all in a Saturday detention in the library and they all have to get along. And he's been sent there because uh, he tapes this kid's buns together. And this kid's name is Larry Lester. And Anthony Michael Hall's like, Larry Lester. And uh, Andrew Clark says, um, you know him? And and this is one moment, Tom, where Anthony Michael Hall actually gets something right. He, he just, the way he says, yeah. You can tell that they're friends and that he knows exactly what happened. And this, and he didn't realize that it was Andrew who was the one who did this to uh, Larry Lester. And um, Andrew Clark gives this tearful recount of why he did this, why why he taped him together, why he taped him together. And he said, well, if you know him, you know how hairy he is. And when oh. they took the tape off, a lot, a lot of the hair came off and some of his skin came off, too. And he did oh. this. He did What's this. To... Reaction to this <laughs> well, it's it's horrible. And he realizes how horrible it is. But he he. He it's says a very solemn it. scene, Tom, that you're laughing at. <laughs> he says he did it to impress his father, to impress his own father, because his father said when he was in school, they used to do things to kids all the time, and that made them tough, and they used to let loose, and, and that helped them be more intense as far as uh, competing is concerned, because he's the jock, and he's a wrestler at the school, and, he, and he's, got a, he's got a full scholarship coming up for him. And his father's really gruff and mean to him and says, if you're, you're going to lose your ride if you don't be more careful. But he kind of pressures his son into doing this. And one of the things that's beautiful about it, and I'm not a big Emilio Estevez fan, but at the end of it, he, he gives he has this little part of the speech where he talks about 
him imagining Larry having to go home to his own father and explain what happened to him. And then he says the the humiliation of having to explain that to your father, this is what happened to me in the locker room at gym class. And I used to hate, I used to hate going to gym class. I used to hate the yeah. idea of getting undressed around other dudes in gym class. Um, and getting your buns glued together. Yeah. Just, just being made fun of or anything like that. I mean, I was just very, conscious of my body at that age and and Emilio Estevez's character Andrew is saying how that must have felt to go home to your father and explain that and the humiliation that must have felt for him and for Andrew he's like how do you apologize for doing that to somebody not just for the physical pain that he caused him but for sending him home to be humiliated in front of his father because for him the humiliation in front of his father is the worst part of it, not the physical insult or the embarrassment or the being bullied. And his bullying is humiliating this kid before his own dad. Uh, and I really like that aspect of it. So in answer to your query, Tom, not all John Hughes movies are terrible. The Breakfast Club is not terrible. I actually like it quite a bit. Um, but it's not a movie that I think that normal people would really like or people who actually like good movies would really like and john hughes really is he he really does have simple themes that are simplistically handled well here's why i would cut some slack for the breakfast club obviously the writer and director of uh pitch perfect thought enough to make it a central like connecting point between two of the main characters in that movie <laughs> very good so if it had been a terrible movie, if it had been weird science, that would, no, there's they would they knew better. So there's something in Breakfast Club that uh, the main characters found worthy enough to connect over. So I'll give it that. Uh, and it surely nothing can be as bad as weird science. Like that's I actually I do remember seeing weird science in the theater, and it's one of those. When you're a kid, you love everything, but as you start to get older, you develop this ability or this curse where you. Yeah, where you, uh, yeah, exactly. So, I just remember um, my dad being disgusted by Kelly LeBrock. What? No way. Her just, hair's so goofy. I guess they liked it that way back then, but yeah, she's good. Because, and also, it just makes no sense. The whole like supposed sexual undertones. Uh, what? Uh, yeah. It's yeah, she weird. helps them get laid. To their right, right. And then they and at then the takes end, over the PE class. Yeah, and at the end they find out they find true love, and so they have to like. They're like not into her anymore. They like their teenage girlfriends. Those movies and Ferris Bueller all have the classic John Hughes third act bummer. Like Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller is John Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I just sound really. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, I spent a lot of the '80s stoned. (laughs) I'm jealous. I also need to pull Dingus over, however, because Emilio Estevez is not a bully character, really. It's uh-huh. a one-time thing, and the bully in that movie is the principal. He says he's going to crack skulls and torments the Chad Nelson character. He, That's he, who you should He's get. in detention for bullying, Kelly. Yeah, but... Well, what all of them are. Does that, isn't that what they're all in detention for? Or I guess they're in detention for different reasons? No, they're in detention for wildly different reasons. He's in detention oh. for bullying a little kid. That's kind of how, like, detention and prison and jail works. Different people have different reasons for being there. Fair enough. Exactly right, yeah. But you did get pulled over, Dingus. Even if it couldn't stick in court, you got pulled over. That doesn't even make – it doesn't even make any sense. He he bullies a kid. That's what well, happens in the movie, Kelly. Sorry. You had, to, you had to show up in court and argue your case. 
But uh, narratively, the principal is the bully of no, the movie, and Emilio Estevez <laughs> is there on a technicality involving buns and glue. Well, speaking One of, of things I yeah. loved about uh, that I remember from seeing Weird Science in the theater is when they're doing the 3D rendering of the Ugh. model and they make the be- the breasts super huge. Well, they don't, oh. Dingus. That's the thing. They show restraint. It's only yeah. later when Robert Downey Jr. and the, the, the actor who never went anywhere uh, show up <laughs> near the end and they make their own. They want to make their own like hot chick and they oh. make the big the tits like really big and it explodes the house and so many stupid things happen. Well, no, they you know, I, plug in the doll. I mean, yeah. the, the two guys make the make the breasts really big in the rendering, and then they reduce them to a normal size. Right. Or to, uh, to a somewhat reasonable size, I should say. The main character's <laughs> right, but the Robert right. Downey Jr. jerks, they go crazy. I can't believe Kelly Wan remembers a plot point for why the second attempt doesn't work. Why would you remember that, Kelly Wan? Because <laughs> Kelly LeBrock, she comes in, she gives it, she's all, you had to be big shots. She, like, gives this super serious wow. speech, like, God, and then you... it's the, like... We forgot to plug in the doll. I can't believe you remember that. Because it's a bad movie. Like, it's it's memorably interesting. Like, it's so weirdly everything. And they uh, have to wear bras on their heads. Oh, not only that, friends. there's a point and where the somebody... There's a point where Chet... That. There's a point where Chet says to his little brother, next thing you know, you'll be wearing a bra on your head. And Ian Michael Smith does a take to the camera. Ew. Oh, wow. Uh, isn't there a dog in that movie? So disgusting. Um, not that I remember. There's a girl who so gratuitously gets uh, sucked in by the wind to the fireplace that's spitting stuff out, and her clothes get sucked off first, and then she gets awesome. sucked into the fireplace. <laughs> that's fine. That's just playful. <laughs> but the, yeah, they affect the weather, Tom, with their science because it's weird. Science. Oh, crazy. Well, I'm going to remember when I. Remember when I said for my list I was going to do bullies that I like? Uh, I kind of lied because I couldn't think of that many. So instead, (laughs) what I did for my number two favorite bully is I chose a bully from a movie that I really like that I want to talk about where the bully is actually not that prominent a feature. This is a movie about high school students. It's very much a period piece set in the 80s, Um, and it, it, it stars... Two really, really good actors. Actually, three when you count uh, an actress who plays one of their moms, uh, who I'd never seen before. Um, and it's a director I'd never seen before. And it's his first movie, um, and it's called <clears throat> Super Dark Times. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you seen this? This is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so Super Dark... Now, it's not... Super Dark Times is one of those movies where... <laughs> There's characters who are just hanging out, and as a matter of fact, Super Dark Times, for very specific reasons, reminds me of a movie that I love called Cop Car. And Cop (laughs) Car opens by introducing you to these two kids who are probably like 10, 11, or 12, and you just hang out with them, and the movie really appreciates their kid logic and the way that kids talk to each other. But then something happens, and they're forced into a very different situation. Super Dark Times is the same thing, but instead of that younger kid logic, you're around like the kids racked by puberty, not quite sure what to do with sexuality, fascinated by violence. There's really weird, icky time in the life of a lot of boys, uh, and you're with them with that conversation and that kind of logic and that kind of 
like growing awareness of how weird the world can be. So you're with them for the first part of the movie, but then the thing happens that puts them into a very different situation. Um, so that structure reminds me of Cop Car, even though the tones are very different. Um, super Dark Times does get super dark, uh, which I, I love about it. Um, the two actors are named uh, Owen Campbell as the lead, and the other lead is a guy who's in Ozark, Dingus. So do you know from Ozark an actor named Charlie Tahan? I don't remember. No, I okay. love Ozark, by the way, but I don't remember. Well, he's got a very, uh, he's got a unique face. It looks kind of like squished together, and uh, yeah. he's, a, he's a real striking-looking guy. And their relationship, which is what the movie is pretty much about, uh, is fascinating to watch in, in the course of the movie. And Amy Hargreaves, who, uh, Dingus, she played the sister in Blue Ruin. Do you remember that part? Very well. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So we love Amy Hargreaves. Uh, so she plays Owen Campbell's mom, and their relationship, too, is just is just great. They're both so good together, and she's just so much fun playing the, like, single mom who's trying to understand her son. Uh, so Super Dark Times has a, a dumb bully scene in it where Charlie Tahan uh, gets – a bully approaches him and asks him about his brother. You know, hey, where's your brother? And Charlie Tahan – says uh well he's not around and the, the bully's like oh yeah he enlisted in the the military right charlie tahan who's getting picked on by this bully he doesn't like was like well yeah he's he's in the navy and then the guy says to charlie tahan this is his taunt and this is how he bullies the, the little kid whose brother's in the navy he says to him oh i bet he's good at sucking dicks <laughs> there's no i mean it doesn't follow in any like there's no there's no segue there's no connection there between being in the military, but being in the military, in no universe, by no stretch of the imagination, does being in the military make anyone good at sucking dicks. It's the stupidest insult, uh, but it works. Like, it really pisses off Charlie Tahan, and the guy throws him <laughs> to the ground. Um, but it made me think that bullies are so – like, joining the military has never, ever, ever been taunt-worthy. Like, that's a, that's a noble thing. Uh so it just bullies are dumb, and this guy was a perfect example of that. Well, it's well, a non sequitur. Well, the the navy, though. I mean, the, uh, you know, uh, the village people saying in the navy. So. Well, Dingus, actually, you have a great point because I I mistold the story. Charlie Tahan tries to correct him and point out he's not in the navy. He's he's a marine, uh, uh, and so that definitely that Dingus, you might have just explained this bully's uh, taunt. So, you know what? Like, Let me give you. Let me then uh, change gears real quick and swap in another movie that has a, an <laughs> inconsequential bully who has a dumb insult. Um, so we, after Zombieland 2, let me ask you guys a question. Dingus, what was your favorite thing about Zombieland 2? It may be Zoe. a person. Oh, what's her, what's her full name? Zoe Deutsch. Oh, Kelly Wan, what's your favorite thing about Zombieland 2? Zoe Deutsch. Yeah, so Deutsch. I watched a Zoe Deutsch movie. Uh, that has Catherine Hahn playing her mother, which is as <laughs> awesome as it sounds, the two of them. Uh, a really, really good actor. Oh, shoot, I wish I remember. I can't. I think his name is like Mark Johnson. I'd never seen him before, but he's normally the kind of guy who'd played like the – he plays like the fat kid who gets picked on, and normally it's a clown role, but he's great in this movie called Flower with Zoe Deutsch in the lead, and it just... So Zoe Deutsch in Zombieland 2 is basically a clown. Flower is a movie about her as a high school student, 
who's like super glib about sexuality and the movie has some weird uh, it's got some weird approaches to what it wants to take seriously and what it doesn't i don't think it's very well written uh but zoe deutsch is just radiant in it it's just i so loved watching her where she's being serious and not a clown uh and she's amazing and do you guys know whose daughter she is amy hargreaves no I can see it now, like especially when watching Flower, seeing her smile and the, the way her eyes look. She's Leah Thompson's daughter. Oh, wow. Which totally shows if you see her like not John doing anything. Yeah, 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 from that generation. So so well, at any rate, Flower, which I I, uh, I I just – Flower, I heartily recommend if you're a Zoe Deutsch fan. It's not a great movie on its own. But she's good in it. Catherine Hahn is great as her mom. The the boy who plays uh, her her stepbrother is amazing. Their relationship is amazing. Uh, but there's a point where a girl accosts uh, uh, Zoe Deutsch's character. I don't remember her name. And the girl's the bully. They obviously have an antagonistic relationship. And the girl says – like uh, uh, Zoe Deutsch insults the bully back, exchanging insults. And the bully's response to this insult is – I'm sorry, I'm having trouble hearing what you're saying without a dick in your mouth. <laughs> Which, again, makes no sense. The, the, yeah, mechanics, like the mechanics of that make no sense. If you have a dick in your mouth, yeah. that's when you would have trouble hearing someone. You don't have trouble hearing them if they don't have a dick in their mouth. Not even that. You wouldn't understand them. They're still talking at a normal volume. It wouldn't be a hearing issue. It would be a intelligibility issue. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it, it's right up there with uh, thinking that being in the military is taunt-worthy. That it Wait, thinks that, I, that not having a dick in your mouth is worth being taunted for. <laughs> I was going to tell you, I was playing a Company of Heroes 2 with my friend Zorlon a couple weeks ago, and the enemy team to tra- talk trash in, they told me to suck my grandpa's dick. Or I do suck my grandpa's dick. Oh, and yeah. I thought, I suck my grandpa's dick. Like, <laughs> that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying you've learned about me from my micro in this game. Like, would, specifically. Would, would you do that in hell? I probably, well, in hell, it's probably not that bad. You know, when we did the Zombieland 2 uh, podcast, Tom asked for our, our favorite lines. And one of the lines I'd forgotten was Zoe Deutsch saying, and she just sort of does this as almost a throwaway line. Uh, she goes, I didn't know there'd be nuts in trail mist because I, <laughs> I heard it was vegan. Exactly, yeah. That's you know, good. I just I, I just want a fan edit of Zombieland 2, which is only her dialogue. <laughs> is she brunette in the other movie? Yes, yeah. All right, good. Uh, and she looks at, I mean, she's just, it's its so playing up on her set. Like, they, they make her look like a like a sexual doll. I mean, it's not genuine sexuality. It's like joke sexuality. Uh, but her sexuality in Flower is just kind of staggering. Uh, but but in a weird way, Kelly. Well, like, it's, its well, you have to watch the, the movie. Um, you could easily have just made Zombieland double tap the plot. Like, she's the actual love interest in Emma Stone's, like, the bully angry character that i would be on board with that yeah yeah all right so there's uh which i guess i'll uh, yeah so super dark times is my number two pick even though flower would also work for that uh so kelly what is your second favorite bully in a movie 
My number two bully in a movie is Biff from Back to the Future uh, because I like the idea that there's these multi-generational rapists who live in the city or the small town and it's like they're cursed by manure every generation. Wait, rapists? Yeah, Biff's a rapist. He tries to rape Leah Thompson, your favorite Zoe Deutsch mom. Oh, hey, you get your damn hands off her. Like, that's yeah. that, that's, an, that's an attempt to... I guess so, isn't it? Ew. And in three, he's more of a he's more of a gunfighting murderer. He doesn't really rape anyone in that. But in the first one, yeah, he's a full-on rapist. They have to beat the rapist up. <laughs> but... He also has manure on him, too. So he's doing that while... He's trying to rape while he has manure on him a lot, which probably isn't helping. Or maybe that's why he has to. I don't know. It's a long dance. Does a three-end of the sea dance. Does Back to the Future hold up, you think? Better than Weird Science? The first one does. The next, It's kind of like Matrix. you got to stop at one. Right, right. Pretend they didn't make more. All right. In fact, it's the same ending, if you think about it. It's the hero of the movie flying, and you're like, oh, he flies now. And then the next <laughs> one, he's like, yeah, he doesn't technically fly now. <laughs> We're going to back off on that flying business. Yeah, Keanu uh... Reeves and Elizabeth Shue are uh, all – she's unconscious in this uh, – in... Wait, Elizabeth Shue is the chicken back to the future? She's in the second one. She replaces the first girl. Oh, because it is Leah year. Thompson, right. So she has to wear that same outfit and get slung around the house because they didn't they didn't want they didn't plan a sequel when they ended the first movie. Wait, so they replaced Leah Thompson's character? They no, just no, replaced Leah the Thompson's actress. The mom. Okay. But what's interesting is like when in Back to the Future Three, Michael J. Fox, he goes back in time to the past, and Crispin Glover is no longer the patriarch. It's him. It's Michael J. Fox like married to leah thompson which like in the 1880s and then in the first movie the whole idea is like oh my mom's hitting on me it's crazy oh it's but it's like in it actually did happen before that if you think about it chronologically like yeah he had sex with leah thompson back in the old west so take that crispin glover <laughs> they just didn't want to work with crispin glover anymore but it's like Never uh, mind. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm feel... cloud atlasing a little bit. Like, oh, it's because they, that person looks like that person. That right. means something. Doesn't right. mean anything. And they didn't care when they wrote it. And now I'm talking about it for ten minutes. What? All right. So I actually did yeah. mean I didn't get around to it, Kelly Wan, because I was watching movies like Flower and Super Dark Times. Uh, but I did mean to watch uh, Back to the Future specifically for this topic, but didn't get around to it. Hmm. Sorry. Well, I did the right thing. Or did I? And that's my number one pick. Oh, we'll find out. But, but first, <laughs> Dingus, we need to know your favorite bully from all moviedom. All right. Here's a quote from it. Suit yourself, but deformed people are the best. Maybe it's because they have a deep resource of anger. Uh, good under the skin? <laughs> no, this is from a movie called Rocket Science. And uh, Kelly Wan would totally pull me over for this one, but that's too bad. So who's the bully uh, in that? Yeah, what? I'm I'm going to enlist Ginny Ryerson, played by Anna Kendrick, as the bully who uh, bullies Hal Hefner, played by Reese Daniel Thompson, into joining the debate team as part of her scheme, really to leave the team and join the prep team in order to be able to beat them. And she 
uses him and she uses uh, her intellect. She uses this sort of tough nature that she has to boss his older brother around and then to boss him around uh, and to belittle him in little ways. And she even uses her sexuality somewhat to uh, to get him to do exactly what she wants, which is to join the debate club so that he will basically scuttle the team so that she has a better chance of winning the trophy in the end. Uh, and it's unconventional, but I really wanted this idea of, especially a female bully, I really like that idea. Uh, and I like the idea of her um, pushing him into a corner and using all of these different strategies in order to belittle him and get him to do what she wants him to do because she makes him believe that he's more than he is, which is a weird way for a bully to act. It's kind of like Kelly almost talking about the three o'clock high bully enticing the other guy out into the yard to fight. Um, she, she creates this, uh, this monster almost who believes in himself by totally lying to him about who he is and who he can be and what his potential is. And uh, I just, I love the character, but this is the first time I had seen Anna Kendrick. And I just think that she's amazing in the part and she uses all of these different ways to get this poor kid to do exactly what she wants. Kelly Wan, get in there, arrest him. You know, Dingus knows what he did. (laughs) (laughs) Worst punishment we can give him is to just let him leave with himself. Dingus, if you can pick if you can pick Anna Kendrick, then I could pick like Barbara Stanwyck from Double Indemnity. She's a femme fatale. She's not a bully. Yeah. You could pick Laura Dern in Last Jedi. Alright, I'm changing my number one. (laughs) Last Jedi. Oh jeez! <laughs> you could pick C three PO for kicking R two D two in Episode four. It's, it's known. C three PO is a total bully. Yeah, he is a bully. Good it's job. Thank you. Go ahead and come up with more examples, Kelly. You're helping me. <laughs> well, it is. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a fun topic. Oh, Kelly, I you love were... that movie so much. Kelly, you should see Rocket Science. I think you would love. Kelly it. hasn't <laughs> seen Rocket Science. No. For someone who claims to be into Anna Kendrick, that's, I don't think, Kelly Wynn, I don't believe you're into Anna Kendrick at all. I don't like movies about joiners and organizations in school that you fucking need to dance and talk at and win (laughs) trophies. Have you even seen seen Pitch Perfect? No. Oh my gosh. Oh, Kelly, you're never allowed to say anything positive about Anna Kendrick until you've taken, until you've seen both of those movies. I like Mike and Dave need wedding dates. I don't care. Do you like movies about people who play uh, violent femmes on the cello? Yeah. Right. Then you should see Rocket Science. Oh. I thought it was Witches of Eastwick. There's a cello in your house now. (laughs) Um, Wait, so Tom's seen this movie. Yeah, I think – did we see it at Sundance, Dingus? Uh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I've I said it. when you went to Sundance, you're like, "Yeah, we're going to go skiing tomorrow." Yeah. It's uh, it's written and directed by a guy named Jeffrey Blitz who uh, also did this. Uh, yeah, well. Oh, no, no. I thought I'm sorry. If you were going to say Spellbound, that's a documentary, not a movie, then I approve. Yeah. If you were going to say Table 19, then I offer my ugh. No, I was going to say Spellbound. Okay, yeah. Spellbound is great. I I love that movie. Yeah. Not a movie, but it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Liam uh, Neeson's a bully in the gray to the wolf. <laughs> 
okay, here's why I love one, but yeah. Here's why I, I love this topic because <laughs> because this is a bully that I, I love. I, I love this character for a couple of different reasons. Um, and I didn't remember how good this this movie is because it's the director's first movie, and it's one of those rare things where. After having seen his first movie and then the movies he's done since then, it's just astonishing to go back and see how confident and well-formed and unique his voice was even in his first movie. It's a fellow named Todd Solons, and the movie is Welcome to the Dollhouse. Mm. Uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse is, you know, because happiness is still – like all of us got our socks blown off by happiness, and it's still fantastic – but I kind of lost track of how good Welcome to the Dollhouse is by just being blown away by happiness. Um, but Welcome to the Dollhouse, the same just painfully good dialogue where a character says something that is so perfectly painful and horrible Ugh. and unknowingly – like there are amazing moments of that in Welcome to the Dollhouse that are just like in happiness. Like lines that if I were to say out of context wouldn't mean anything, but in the specific situation, they're just – they rip your guts out. So Welcome to the Dollhouse, it's just adorable little, little uh, uh, Heather Matarazzo who – uh, I thought she hadn't done much except the dumb Hostel movies. She was in one of those, which is terrible. Uh, but looking up her credits, she's been working steadily, which is awesome, mainly TV stuff. But I'm super glad that she's that she's still around. Um, so it's about her in seventh grade, and it's about just how difficult it is to be a kid, pretty much. Uh, and the overall message of it is that the abusive and, – and Todd Solons, by the way – wouldn't put it this way like it's super organic there's no like canned message or there's no theme moment but ultimately the movie is about how the terrible things that happen to us we then pass on to other people and that's like a classic thing with bullying is that you learn a bad behavior and you enact it against someone else's you pass the bullshit that gets dumped on you to someone else um and even if you're not a classical bully that's how people can respond to that. And in Welcome to the Dollhouse, uh, Heather Matarazzo's character, when she gets bullied, she does to her little sister who annoys her the exact same things that were done to her even though she doesn't understand them. Early in the movie, she's called a lesbo by these girls, and so she calls her little sister who's annoying her a lesbo, and she probably has no idea what it is. Um so the bully in this movie is – his name is Brandon, and he's played by a fellow named Brendan Sexton III. Do, does either <laughs> of you guys know who this is? Oh, yeah. I mean this movie – I mean it's like the, the smart version of Little Miss Sunshine in a way, but it's, ah. it's just – it's it was so painful for me to watch mainly because he is just uh, – I, even now I feel my skin crawling because it's so well done, but it's so painful. The thing that's amazing in, in the movie is how f- how frank it is. Like it's super brave in that it does things uh, – like I guess it was 95. So you know, people are calling each other faggots and fag all the time and even like characters who aren't evil like use the word faggot or fag. And they, so, but that was a relic of the 90s. But the, the amazing thing in this and yeah, Fuck it's – you, chick. Well, it, isn't he in, in, um, <laughs> in the uh, Hillary Swank movie? Uh, that's Peter Sarsgaard. I think. I mean, Peter Sarsgaard is... Uh, are you talking about Boys Don't Cry? Yeah, he's not in Boys Don't Cry. Okay. He I'm, might be, but Peter okay. Sarsgaard is the main bully in that one. Um, All right. Well, here's what here's what you know. So, Brendan Sexton the third. <clears throat> so, he's the bully, and he's so uh, 
that that actor is so uh like menacing and slithery but he's got this weaselly charm to him um which i think any bully should have like there should be a reason that the bully gets away with this sort of stuff um and also by the way seeing him as a young kid in in uh welcome to the dollhouse it makes perfect sense too do you guys know the movie we've probably seen him in most recently like in the last two years um, is he in the Billboards movie? Exactly. He's the rapist killer who may or may not be the rapist killer in Three Billboard Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, and it's that same quality that he, that he has. He can be menacing and slithery, but but charming, and there's just these there's just something off-putting or weird about him that's not quite right. And that's why it was such great casting. To be someone who is a rapist murderer, but maybe he's not. Um, so even at a young age, this kid, this actor had that. So he plays the bully, and what he does to Dawn, uh, the character's name is Dawn Wiener, uh, is you know he's bullying her normally, but at a certain point he corners her in a convenience store while she's playing a video game with her friend, and you know she, he's calling the, the her friend a fag and a faggot and all that stuff, and she stands up to him. And like pushes him back, and Ugh. and it and it fascinates him. Yeah, he doesn't know what to make of that. So he then whips out, and this is what bullies do: is they say the darkest, worst, most hurtful thing that they can possibly think of, even if they don't quite understand it. So he comes to her the next day, and he says to her, and I don't know if you guys remember this in Welcome to the Dollhouse. I certainly didn't, and it's really weird to hear in 2019. He comes up and he says to her, at 3 o'clock, I'm going to rape you. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> she doesn't know what that means. He doesn't know what that means, it turns out. Um, uh. But it's just him saying the worst, darkest thing that he can think of. Uh, and she doesn't – when he corners her and he's going to rape – like he doesn't know what to do. And so he just says, come with me. And he just drags her along and torments her and he, he gets high. He smokes a joint. But he doesn't – like it doesn't mean anything to him it's just a thing that he said to be hurtful so they're sitting there and he's smoking a joint and she's like kind of being apologetic to him and she doesn't know what to make of the situation he doesn't know what to make of the situation and it's just at this weird situation he explains a little bit about his life kind of inadvertently because he's just talking to fill the time and you find out that he's got a younger brother uh, who he says, quote, is retarded. Mm. And he, Dawn says, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And he immediately says, and this says so much about his character, he says, oh, well, well, but he could kick your ass anyway. Like he's being defensive. Uh, he's wanting to be protective towards his retarded brother. Right. Um, and when Dawn later goes to his house, you know, you meet this, this kid has Down syndrome. Um, so it, it's just uh. Uh, it, in all That's how like kids are, though. <laughs> right 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 yeah yeah so you've been introduced to this character who's done this horrible thing but the movie does a weird flip where you're supposed to be a little sympathetic t- towards him uh, and at the end of the movie he gets he, like he gets kicked out of school for for dealing drugs when he didn't even do it actually and she doesn't again she doesn't know quite what to make of this because this scene where he's supposed to quote unquote rape her they do end up kissing Again, neither of them really understands what's going on here. Mm-hmm. So he's taken out of school. He's gone. 
she he's not around anymore. She doesn't know what to make of this, so she goes to his house, and this is where she sees that, yeah, his brother has Down syndrome, that his father is an abusive alcoholic, and the father says, yeah, you can go upstairs and say goodbye to him. He's leaving in a little bit. We're sending him off to a reform school. So she goes up to say goodbye to him, and he is, like, he... He, he's he's going to run away. Like, he doesn't know he's not going to go to the reform school. He's just the, – the poor guy's basically been excluded from everything. And he's going to run off, and he has this idea that he's going to just run away and make a life of his own. And he says to her, come with me, which uh. is the weirdest thing for, for, like, how their relationship came about. Yeah. And, and and she eventually says, no, I can't. You know, I, I I've got my family. So she then moves to go in and try to kiss him because, again, neither of them really understands this whole kissing thing. Yeah. And then he steps back and pushes her away. Oh. And she And she feels like rejected. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, she thinks he's rejected her. But then he says, no, you don't make the move on me. I make the move on you. And then he uh. leans up and kisses her. Like it's just oh. this weird – he needs to be dominant. Like it's this weird right. behavior that he's got. Yeah. Um, it's so not well he, suited in a weird way. Like it – it's it's just a great combination of of Todd Solon's just dark misanthropy. Uh, That's a happier ending than the eighth grade version. Second base, third base, I get those mixed up. All right. Well, I I don't remember any dark ending in eighth grade. What? It's not an ending. It's just a scene where she's in a car with a guy who's right older and more experienced. She's <laughs> pretending she is, and it's kind of cringy and. Right. Well, in this case, but neither of them understands sexuality or understands what they're doing. I mean, they're both just kids aping something that they've seen. Uh, right. Right. So, so but here. It's heartwarming. So yeah. So the the main reason that this is my favorite bully. There, there's three of them. One is uh, Brendan Sexton the third. Even at that age, is just so good, and he's so well. And the the second is Todd Solons is just. It's just firing on all cylinders, just right out of the yeah. gate in this very first movie. Welcome to the Dollhouse is amazing. My my third reason, and I think the main reason that this is my favorite bully, is because when Welcome to the Dollhouse ends, we're not done with this character. This character exists outside of that movie. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No. So Wiener Dog? Yeah, so Todd Solons does a movie. It's his last movie called Wiener Dog, which takes a cute little dachshund, a wiener dog, and it, it's the connective point between these four separate stories. And they're awful. They are just... They're, they're just dark for dark's sake, and they're trying to be... Like, if Todd Solons was... Yeah. Todd Solons was great when he started, but to come to what he's doing in Wiener Dog is just painful to watch. It's, oh, no, I gotta see it. Really well, curious. I'd be curious what what you think. I didn't it, see it because I was like, why isn't Heather Matarazzo? That's crazy. Yeah, I like Gerwig, but it's just well, the thing is, like, Welcome to the Dollhouse is very much about a, a specific thing. Like, Welcome to the Dollhouse has a really cool point and a tone. Looking girl, too. But most of Wiener Dog feels like someone just trying to get a rise out of you. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just it doesn't work, with one very important exception, and that is the second segment in the movie Wiener Dog, has Greta Gerwig playing a grown-up Don Weaver, or Don Wiener, and just for Greta Gerwig's interpretation of Heather Matarazzo, it's worth seeing. Like the way that uh, she does expressions, uh, even the way she stands. There's a certain point where she's talking to someone who's shorter than her. 
and I realize, oh my god, she's hunching her shoulders forward. Uh, even her stance is just like her. Her, it's it's almost like a Heather Moderato. It's not quite a Heather Moderato impression, but it's just her interpretation of Don Wiener grown right. up based on what Heather Moderato did, and it is so on point. It is beautiful. But the the this, the second segment in this movie is about her <laughs> running into Brandon. So well, she is, goes. Is in, there an actual Wiener dog, or is Don Wiener supposed to be the? There's an actual wiener dog. Yeah, this is just oh. an unfortunate coincidence that he named. Because they called in Welcome to the Dollhouse, uh, wiener dog was the nickname that people used for her. Right. So I figured that's why Todd Solons at some point was like, well, I have these four stories. How am I going to connect them? Oh, I'll, I'll use a pet dog as the thing that gets passed through each of the stories. And it's kind of inconsequential for the most part. The dog. It has four legs. And that it does. One for each story. So uh, Don Wiener goes into a convenience store, and lo and behold, there is Brandon, the bully. Same actor? Who she hadn't seen since he left to escape going to reform school. Nope, not the same actor. And, and this is this is a weird thing. It's not the same actor, and I don't know why, because Brendan Sexton III, he's still working, and he could still pull off this part. But instead, it's a Culkin. It's Kieran Culkin. <gasps> playing a grown-up Brandon, which at first seems a little Ronan. weird. Yeah. Be- but but what we discover about him is c- – because Kieran Culkin is very different. He has a very different aspect to him, and he's playing it as uh, someone who's completely, like, burned out and, and sad, and there's this kind of tragic sadness and vulnerability to what Kieran Culkin is doing in this part. Uh. Uh, and and what eventually happens in this segment of Wiener Dog, where these two characters come together, and where they end up, I don't think Brendan Sexton the Third could have pulled it off. I think that mm-hmm. it works because Kiernan Culkin uh, is there. Uh, I think Kiernan Culkin makes it work, and it is startlingly humanistic and warm and just touching and the complete antithetical. It's completely antithetical to the dog shit Morris that is the morass that is the rest of Wiener Dog. Uh, so that, that that second segment, my favorite bully, he's further developed from the movie. It's a different actor, but they did it for a reason. Uh, and it's and a like really it. I, I love it. I adore it. I think that that segment of Wiener Dog uh, is is literally one of the most beautiful things Todd Solons has ever done. And, and I say that because a lot of what he's done is ugly. Um, but it's, it's a really beautiful just breathtakingly beautiful thing uh, that I recommend you see. Kelly, what's your favorite bully, and what do the listeners have for us? My number one favorite bully is the guy in No Retreat, No Surrender, who's super fat, and he's in the karate class, and he's, like, fat and dumb and gross and obnoxious, uh, but he's still somehow – and he's but somehow he's popular, too. So it's, like, the popular bully, but he's super overweight. And at one point at the party – he like jumps in a pool and he goes, who peed in the pool? And then all the kids laugh like, oh, it's that guy. Classic him. And they're really enjoying it. So what it's the only no, time where there's like a fat bully. Like a fat. What is no like retreat, guy, no surrender? Yeah, what is that? Martial arts movie from the 80s where a kid, <laughs> his dad gets beat up, so they move. And then um, Jean-Claude Van Damme plays a Russian. Oh, well, it's a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. I mean, you just He's the villain. He's the villain, though. Mm. And the kid has to beat him in the final fight, or 
or they'll lose the town. To Wait, the a kid has to fight Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yeah. It doesn't and seem Bruce fair. Bruce Lee's ghost teaches him, and he has a black friend named RJ that craps and hangs out and stuff. Like, All right, it doesn't, like, doesn't Jean-Claude Van Damme play, like, an Appalachian guy? <laughs> or something like that? He plays, like, some hillbilly or something. Oh, yeah, like the Wilford Brimley? It's a John Woo movie called Hard Target. Right, yeah. right. He, he, he kicks a barrel at a guy, and then he shoots the barrel, and it blows up the guy and the barrel. It's no broken arrow. Actually, the first, the only good John Woo American movies, uh, of course, face off. But I don't know. Broken Arrow is kind of weak. You know what I'm saying? Because um, John Travolta is a villain, like, tying Christian Slater in the ring. That could never happen. Broken Arrow. The listeners, you said. <laughs> Quite a turnout, actually. I'm surprised. Jamie Seward writes, Hi, guys. I'll try this again. I guess my bedtime picks last month weren't good enough for Tom. I'm hopeful Kelly will be more lenient. To improve my chances, I've avoided all anime. See, Tom? Rules. Learn them. Know them. Live them. Number three. My third pick is constrained to the wizarding school genre. I narrowed it down to Draco Malfoy. Oh, it's a white man's anime. It's white anime. Draco Malfoy from all eight Harry Potter movies? They never kill him? There are endless examples of classic wizarding bullying carried out by the pesky Draco. For example, in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, he casts a leg locker cursor. See, I'm getting gaslit. Parentheses locomotor mortis on Neville Longbottom. <laughs> There's eight of these motherfucking books. I read two of them. It's enough of these characters. He's con- he's consistently mocking the Weasley family for being poor. He attempts to get Buckbeak. Hagrid's majestical hippogriff executed. Need I say more? Tom Buckbeak almost got executed. It's a, it's a majestical griffin, right? Neville Longbottom got uh, locomotor mortis cast on Tom. That seems cruel to make kids read what I just said. As opposed to grown-ups. Number two. Connie and his older brother Jimmy from Let the Right One In. Oh. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. Right? Yeah. See? See, Dingus, what you could have done? Just because they just because they were see, instead of your first man bully or whatever that was. <laughs> Come on, the moose is not a bully, Dingus. How many times I gotta tell you? Just because they received one of the best bully comeuppances. Number one, Biff Tannen, Back to the Future. I'm sure everyone picked this. See? Everyone. But for good reason. Thanks, Jamie Seward. Like the sea, not the sewer. Oh, so Seward. It's too late now. Sorry. <laughs> we'll edit this out. Tyler Schubert. Greetings, Kelly, Tom, and Dingus. Quickly want to say thank you again for a great podcast. I come to hear three friends discussing something they love, but stay for Naked Arnold. For my second time writing in, I was able to come up with three. The three bullies I've chosen had one thing in common. They're all really bad at picking their victims. Number three, in History of Violence, Jack Stahl's confronted by three bullies. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, that's, you know, I I had that as a runner-up. The reason I didn't choose it, that's a Bobby Singer he's talking about, uh, the the main bully. Um, but he's kind of, the thing I like about it is that he's kind of the, the slightly smarter version of the way Spider-Man deals with his bully. With yeah. the, the whole locker, the whole, like, throwing him into a locker kind of a thing that happens. But he is here's, kind of a Stephen King bully. Here's how dumb I am. I was going, mm, I'm not sure, because I thought he meant the three bank rob. Or the That's what I was robbers. thinking. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Oh, okay. I'm like, those aren't bullies. No. They're robbing a diner. No, he's talking about the kid who hits the softball, and then uh, Stahl is the son who catches the ball. Oh, okay. In the outfield. All right. Tyler, I, I take back my uh, my disapproving sound. Yeah, me too. I forgot which stall was the kid, or that there was a kid. The leader of the group taunts Jack about his father's recent exploits at a local diner, among other general insults. You mean kicking a bunch of people's asses? Why would you continue to bully someone whose father just killed two murders is beyond me. But Jack takes a page out of his father's book and deals with two of the three bullies in a similar fashion. I yeah, I, yeah, Kelly, one, I yeah. totally thought Tyler was trying to bring up like the criminals. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, those aren't bullies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that Joker's a real bully. Right. Than, uh, <laughs> the uh, Tim Burton one. The way he—he's a real bully to Batman's parents. Yeah, Darth Vader's a real bully. Yeah. I can't believe that guy's bullying the rebellion the whole time. That uh, Talia Shire's husband's a real bully in Godfather. <laughs> I guess that one's real. Never mind. Number the death, two. Just... The Death Star is a real bully to Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> that George Burns is a real bully and oh God, the John Denver. Making him uh, pick lettuce up or something. Number two. In the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man, we see Flash Thompson pick a fight with our soon-to-be hero after Peter accidentally throws a tray of food on him. This goes about as well for Flash as you'd expect. He not only can't land a single punch, but the fight ends when Peter punches him hard enough to throw him 12 feet backwards. My assumption is that Flash later died from injuries sustained because <laughs> he's never mentioned or seen again in the trilogy. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. We never see him again. Well, I thought he was Stanley. Never mind. What I really love about this scene is that Flash Thompson is played by D&D enthusiast and all-around nerd Joe Manganiello. Joe Manganiello. Joe Manganiello. Joe Manganiello. Number one, in John Wick, Lucif Tarasov shows incredibly poor judgment when choosing to follow John Wick home, break into his house, accost him with a baseball bat, and then stomp his puppy to death. His poor judgment starts a rampage that directly results in the death of 77 sordid mercenaries, bodyguards, general thugs, crime bosses, and William Defoe. Thanks again for the awesome podcast, Tyler S., Actually, why does the guy kill John Wick's dog? Right, is... Oh, isn't it because they saw him at a gas station? They're like, hey, Pat, Didn't they want know. his car or something? Or I've... Is yeah. that what it was? It's nothing to do with his work. Well, the dog's also whining in the background. And he goes, shut that dog up. But are they there to rob him? Or are they are they robbers is what I'm wondering. Is They don't show up to kill his dog. They're, they're robbing... The robbers and the dog gets killed in the course, right? They're taking yeah, the they're, they're they're taking the Mustang. That's why they're there because Keanu Reeves has said some things aren't for sale, and he and he says in Russian everything is a price, bitch. And he goes, not this bitch. Okay, yeah, not not a bully. It's a robber. It's a carjacker. It's a Russian mobster. 
Ben Ian McShane's a real bully in the third one. <laughs> Kenny oh, Reeves God. is really the bully. He's the one. He's being a jerk to everyone he fights. He kills him. It's just bullying. Kenny Reeves is a real bully to Bill and Bill and Ben. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do apologize for scooping you on the Spider-Man thing, though. I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. No. No, they get it because then you're like, it's like two votes for it. Exactly, Dingus. Like I, I think people like hearing their their picks. Like, yep, I'm yeah. thinking that. Like Tyler's like, yeah, Dingus gets me. We get each other. Yeah, Dingus knows who I am. Hendrick <laughs> Thiel writes. I don't know why I said it like that. These bullies are presented by the letter J. <laughs> Number three, Janice Scott and Gary. The first, a rare female bully from Bridge to Terabithia. I can't recall the actual bullying taking place, and I refuse to watch this movie ever again. But I distinctly remember them appearing in the fantasy world. The protagonists invent for themselves as various kinds of monsters. <laughs> what is Bridge to Terabithia, Tom? I think it's like some fantasy thing. I mean, it's is it like Maze Runner? Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I think, but I think it's for little kids, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. It always sounds like Swiss Family Robinson to me for some reason. It's a family movie, Kelly Wand. It's not for you. I feel like the listeners could really gaslight us, like just make up movies and then Mm, just read it aloud. No, we would know. Come on, between the three of us, we have we have quite the reserve of knowledge about movies. A listener can come up with a title like Bridge to Terabithia. No, I know it exists. I've heard of that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Janice Scott and Gary are the names of the bullies. (laughs) That you're right. They could be. Who who is it? Henry Steele. He said. Hendrick Thiel. Hendrick Thiel, yeah, Hendrick could be tricking us on that one. Number two, JJ and Lou, a Pixar short, probably too sweet for at least two of you. <laughs> Pixar shorts, do those count? Yeah. Uh, is that a Good movie, though, Dingus? Is it short? Well, movie? Yeah, it's a short movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So those cartoons with Roger Rabbit are movies? Yeah, they're, gotcha. they're, they're listed funny. as. Gotcha. They're in the short film category at the Oscars. Okay. Yeah, Kelly One, they're called short movies. The reason documentaries aren't movies is they're not called documentary movies. They're called documentaries. Therefore, not a movie. That's why they call them money, Tom. <laughs> uh, JJ and Lou, Pixar short. A preschool bully meets his match in one of the most fun creature designs I've seen in a long time. I'll watch it. I like Pixar shorts. Yeah, yeah. They ride a little high on the... Uh, Number one, Jeremy with the cool bike from the movie The Babysitter. If just for his gleeful refusal to help the protagonist, even when the latter is chased by murderous pretty people. <laughs> oh yeah, Bert, b- bullies always have cool bikes, like the guy in uh, Friday. Because they're like they're like the kid version of bikers. Right, literally. That's why they're not That's called. That's why I said it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I said it because it's true, Kelly. <laughs> Also, he dances shittily, a quality I dig in movie bullies. Cheers, (laughs) I like the word shittily. It sounds dainty. Jason Maltby writes, number... Oh, boy, here we go. Here Here we go. All right, listeners. Let's see what's up. You're bullying the Kelly. (laughs) 
Jason Maltby writes, in uh, Naoko Yamada's 2016 animated feature, Koei no Katachi, parentheses, a silent voice, sixth grade transfer student Nishimiya Shauko informs her new class that she's deaf. She tries to fit in, but one student, Ishida Shaoya, wait, they both have the first syllable at the same and they can't get along, <laughs> starts to bully her because of her disability, deafness. Along with his friends Kazuki Shimada, Kaisuki Hiroshi, <laughs> Naoka Ueno, that's another Naoko, no, Naoka, and Miki Kawai, Ishida victimizes the poor girl with nasty messages and steals her hearing aids, chucking them into the river. Like a Blair Witch map. <laughs> now, did Jason write that, or was that your editorializing, that Kelly? That was me. One? I was thinking about Mike being a bully in Blair Witch. Sorry. But doesn't he, doesn't he kick the map, though? Yeah. I like chucking, though, too, because that can be done with a foot. When the principal questions the class about the bullying, the group blames everything on Aishida. Riddled with guilt, Aishida isolates himself from that point on and falls into a deep depression. Classic bully. <laughs> After contemplating suicide, he resolves to reach out to the deaf girl he tormented years ago, who's still lonely due to her shyness. Realizing they're both suffering due to his past sins, Aishida attempts to reconnect Nishimiya with the old classmates that she never had the chance to befriend back then. <laughs> Thank you for telling us how the whole arc goes. Kelly Wan, there was bullies and redemption in there. You love redemption. It's like it starts out with name trolling and then he's all but no seriously this part (laughs) let me describe everything that's going on emotionally number two throughout his time at the good old hsww harry potter deals with many bullies whether it's draco malfoy and his friends at school or dudley dursley's gang back at home classic bully names but in harry potter and the order of the phoenix we discover an unexpected bully in this wizarding i'm getting a little tired of that fucking word (laughs) harry's own father what i'm so glad i don't know this shit i'm so glad i'll forget it after during one-on-one occlumency training harry (laughs) cast protego to defend himself against Professor Snape's mind-reading legilimency. <laughs> Reflecting the Potion Master's spell back at him by using legilimency. <laughs> Suddenly, Harry finds himself reliving Snape's childhood memories. He witnesses a young James Potter and Sirius Black at Hogwarts many years ago, cruelly tormenting their classmate Severus Snape by suspending him upside down in midair, exposing his dingy underwear. Rickman viewing this memory disturbs Harry (laughs) his mental image of his heroic father oh that disturbs him for that Shaggy and his feelings conflicted with newfound empathy toward the hated Slytherin instructor this event fleshes out the relationship yeah okay that's enough I don't care what it does number one in Masaki Yusoa's 
2004 animated film Mind Game. <laughs> Mishy's encounter with a bully catalyzes his transformation from a loser wannabe manga artist into a hero. It's manga, right? It's manga artist. The film begins with Nishi third-wheeling it with his childhood crush, Mayon, and her fiancé, Ryo. What? Yeah, Mayon and Ryo. hanging out with the couple? At her family's yakitori restaurant. Oh, even their food's anime. <laughs> Does that sound rancid? Soon a pair of Yakuza gangsters, you know, okay. Triads crash their quaint reunion. Hatsu, the volcano headed soccer playing Maradona of Osaka. <laughs> Let me repeat that. Hatsu, the volcano headed soccer playing Maradona of Osaka, throws a tantrum in the bar, and only Mayon is brave enough to stand up to him. Oh, it's a dude. Atsu turns his lascivious attention to Mayan, draws a gun, and prepares to assault the girl before noticing Nishi curled up into a compact, quivering ball on the floor. Atsu goadingly places his pistol against Nishi's anus, verbally ridiculing him. Oh, Wait, what? That got dark. Before Nishi can stammeringly muster up any courage, he takes a fatal gunshot wound up the ass. Now a disembodied spirit, Nishi has a purgatorial meeting with a fickle, shape-shifting god, but manages to charm his way out of the afterlife by racing back to Earth to re-inhabit his still-warm corpse before the leopard deity can devour his soul. He returns to the moment just before Atsu pulls the trigger, and this time Nishi twists the gun away using his clenched buttocks and fires a bullet through Atsu's brain. A daring turnabout of fate ensues, followed by a wild car chase, and getting swallowed by a colossal whale. Keep up the great work, Jason N. <laughs> that was pretty epic. Very nice, Jason. Yeah. I like that he just leaves you with, and then a whale. <laughs> oh, Japan. After every story beat. John Renninger writes, the quote is, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Classic Biff. Third best bully is Back to the Future Part 3. Ah, oh, see? Not the rapist. It's the murderer. It's Buford Mad Dog Tannen, who kept accusing Marty McFly of being chicken while trying to shoot, drag, or hang him. Second best is Back to the Future Part 2, with the Biff-on-Biff Biff bullying scene. Old Biff comes back from the future with a sports almanac to make young Biff into a millionaire, but has to smack young Biff with it when he repeats the quote, saying, You sound like an idiot when you say it that way. Best is, of course, the original Back to the Future Biff, a quintessential bully throughout and on the verge of raping Lorraine until George McFly finally stands up to him, resulting in a timid, goofy, and likable Biff in the altered future. I don't think he's likable, but anyway. Kudos to Thomas F. Wilson for The Seven Faces of Biff. Original present day, original 1955, old, griff, casino, mad dog, and timid. It's about seven Biffs. You just can't. That's seven manures a day. Shut the fuck up, Wanda. Sam writes, hey, cutie three dudes. It's funny that Kelly's doing this month's three by three, considering we all know who the bully out of the trio is. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> huh. Anyways, my memory's shit, so I had trouble coming up with these. And sorry, Tom and Dingus, but the only good anime ever made is a series called Cowboy Bebop. So I didn't have any Japanimation knowledge to troll Kelly with. Uh, I don't know. I think you 
This is pretty trolly. On to the three by three. Number three in the made for TV Disney movie Johnny Tsunami. <laughs> See, I try to guess what the power is from the name. Like Mr. Freeze. Our hero Johnny must move from Hawaii to like Utah or something. No longer able to shred the waves. He must learn to shred the ganar. Snow on mountains. But this mountain isn't for everyone. The mountain's segregated between skiers and snowboarders, and the skiers get all the good runs. Oh, Disney. You really get me. Anyways, the main villain is a bulky skier who picks on Johnny for being Hawaiian. Oh, Disney race war. But the girl picks Johnny in snowboarding over skiing and the villain, and the mountain becomes not segregated. Wow. That's kind of good. I'm glad it all worked out, sex-wise. Number two, in the made-for-TV Disney movie Brink, our hero named Brink is an inline skater, but not just any inline skater. He's a soul skater, meaning he doesn't skate for money, but just the love of asphalt under his wheels. (laughs) Uh, This is pretty good writing. Brink's rival is a backwards hat-wearing sponsored skater sellout fuck who bullies soul skaters and probably non-extreme athletes, too, but the film doesn't get into that. Brink is forced to sell out to help with family bills. His friends feel betrayed. He makes it up to them. Everyone wins except for backwards hat. He gets a milkshake poured (laughs) on him. Number one, just like the weird science uh, anti-Michael Hall, Tom. Oh, right. You remember that, too. Yeah, Iron Man. All that brain space devoted to weird science. I'm not proud of it, and I'm not pleased, and my brain isn't either. It resents the rest of me. Number one, in Billy Madison, a classic entree. (laughs) That's me, not him. In the American absurdist genre, Adam Sandler plays the spoiled heir to like a shampoo dynasty or something, but his father's tired of footing the bill to Billy's debaucherous lifestyle. In order for Billy to keep his trust fund and eventually run the company, he must redo all of school. Yeah, I know the plot of Billy Madison. (laughs) From kindergarten to high school. While following Billy through this odyssey, we meet multiple members of the O'Doyle family. Right. It's like a family of bullies, Tom. Did you see Billy Madison? The O'Doyle family? I didn't. I don't do early Adam Sandler. O'Doyle rules! They have a catchphrase, and they all have red hair, which means they're classic bullies. Right. It's the angriest color, Tom. All big for their age, all pale and ginger of hair, and all giant assholes to their classmates, and every one of them ending their torment with the tagline, O'Doyle rules. Eventually, the entire family from grade school to father gets their comeuppance when their entire family is driving in their car, and they swerve due to a discarded sandwich by Chris Farley, I think, and careen off a cliff and die. A true Sandman classic. Yeah, I like that. I like that joke, too. Thanks for the pod every week. Remember, quit looking at me, swan. Best Sam Vidovich. <laughs> Did you understand that? Quit looking Quit at me, look Swan. At... Yeah. I'm afraid I didn't. Dingus, do you get it? No. It might be a Billy Madison reference that was too deep for you, Kelly Wand. Quit looking at me, Swan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is. Good work. I'm sorry. I was assume it's more convoluted than the obvious convoluted. Brandon McLean writes, Dear Spooky Tomas Chicksaw Massacre... Baba Dingus and Skelly Wand. Aw. <laughs> Tomas is scary. It's a scarier version of Tom's name. Bullies are terrible, but at least these three are memorable and fictional. Number three, the horrible wee boy who shuts poor Haley Joel Osmond in that scary cupboard in the sixth sense. It's ah. a good one. I forget yeah. what he looked like. 
I think uh, I think he gets maybe he was a ghost, but also the ghost in the cupboards a bully to him too. Anyway, cool, cool guy. An unbearable brat made exquisitely hateable by the fact that he's a child actor in the film. We get to see his performance in an advert. Number two, Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Not sure if Buzz counts as a bully since he's a big brother, but look at him. He definitely bullies other people as well as his littlest, most annoying brother, Kevin. Wait, what movie is this from? I think it's Home Alone. Oh, she doesn't say the movie? No, I'm guessing. Interesting. All right. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Not sure if Buzz counts as a bully since he's a big brother. Yeah. Kevin's the only famous bully kid. He's not even bullied. The criminal's bully. He bullies the criminal. (laughs) Kevin's the bully. He's like Rambo the bully. Gunnery Sergeant Hartman from Full Metal Jacket. See, yeah, because this... Is it a bully if it's there for Their if job. he's like exactly right right? Yeah. yeah, he's he's not bullying them. He's trying to like make them into specific types of people. True by bullying them, but eh, I don't know. Kelly Wan, you're the law here. You decide. Well, her case is she goes not just a bully but a professional bully and an oh. outstanding one. So he's getting paid to bully. It's her his her point of view. Okay. So I like that effort. Well, it's such a great part, too. I mean, it, it did launch the guy's career. It's iconic, so, yeah. I read somewhere, too, that... Um, did Arlie yeah. Army die? Did I make that up? I don't think so. Okay, I, good. I think he did, actually. Oh, no. Oh. All right, well, one of those is true. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember seeing or reading somewhere that Arlie Army like, Kubrick filmed him, and he never repeated the same trash talk, and he would do it for hours. Like, wow. hour, like you know how Kubrick does, like, thousands of takes? Like, Arlie Army just kept doing different things, like, constantly. Like, right, wow. That's how good he was at it. Because he was a real drill sergeant. So he had shitloads of material. Right. Did your mothers have any children that lived? Happy, happily <laughs> love for Brianna. <laughs> <laughs> Private pile... Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes, number three, Hancock. Jason Bateman's son's constantly picked up by a French kid named Michel, at least until Will Smith throws the kid high up in the air to scare him. I like the Billy whose face he sticks in another guy's butt. I appreciate that the movie mentions that Michel's parents are going through a rough divorce and that it's reprehensible. <laughs> so it makes it worse. It's tragic. <laughs> now he, he's uh, sad. This made me feel bad for Michelle, and that his reprehensible behavior probably stems from this. Number two, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh. It's always the first movie. How good a bully can he be if he's in eight movies? Never mind. I guess he's a really good bully. I guess that's the answer. Draco Malfoy takes great pleasure in bullying Harry Potter, Ron Weasley, Hermione Granger. They are so dumb. And pretty much everyone else that isn't a member of Slytherin House, Tom. He does this with the assistance of his two bully lackeys, Vincent Crabbe and Gregory Goyle, and gets away with much of it due to Professor Severus Snape willfully turning a blind eye to Malfoy's mistreatment of his fellow students. Is that ever explained in Snape's redemption? That he's oblivious to bullying? Is there a reason for that? Is there a deus ex machina? I sense a lot of apathy from my podcast colleagues on this issue (laughs) 
Number one, fuck me. All right, bitches. <laughs> now, all right, I'm just going to say it. Number one, fate forward slash stay night colon <laughs> heavens feel one period. Presage flower. Wow. Shinji Matau is a major bully to many of the characters in the Fate Stay Night universe. He picks on Shirao Emiya, Rin Tosaka, Sakura Matau, his own sister, and many others that attend the high school at the center of the story. So, really just Malfoy. As the tale progressed, as we find out that Shinji is also a mage, although not a very good one, master of the heroic spirit writer and a contender in the Holy Grail War in Fuyuki. <laughs> you know, the Holy Grail War in Fuyuki. The Holy Grail War in Fuyuki. It's always a bit annoying when a bully character actually has some real power, as is the case with Shinji Matau. <laughs> That's annoying. But that gives you all the more reason to read against them, which can be fun. <laughs> and there's no, like, that's the end of the entire email. Yeah. <laughs> Luke S. writes, Number one, my first pick's a Japanese movie where the bullies are students and the victim's an adult. A group of girls led by a straight-up psychopath discovers that their, their teacher's pregnant. Because their lives are miserable, they conspire to lure the teacher away from safety to show her that survival in their world is reserved for the ruthless and the strong. <laughs> Why? It's a hideous, ugly, trashy movie with virtually nothing in it to recommend. So why did I pick it? Because everyone deserves to know that there's a movie out there with the glorious title, Let's Make the Teacher Have a Miscarriage Club. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, see, look, look what they get away with compared to our stupid title. Come on, episode four? That's not a title. Anyway. Let the Right One In features my favorite scene of bully comeuppance. Oscar's given a difficult choice by his bullies. Submit to being held underwater for three minutes and survive or lose an eye. <laughs> I know, I love that. The bullies that specific about. It's a tense scene. Like the bullies hoping that they don't pick drown as their option. It's like, a, yeah, he makes it like a game show. He makes an activity out of it, right? Yeah, and he's thought it out to that. Okay, an eye or... Right lack of oxygen to the brain the lead bully is genuinely scary and it's obvious that he intends to make good on the threat the fact that it's a scandinavian bully too like our ignorance like maybe it is like that right exactly like maybe he you do get held underwater for three minutes and you die that could be like a common thing yeah we don't know know. yeah Yeah. shit don't go to don't go to school in sweden you're gonna swim also it's cold water isn't it because it's sweden it's a tense scene. The lead bully is genuinely scary, and it's obvious that he intends to make good on the threat. Oscar chooses the water challenge, and we're treated to a truly incredible scene where bloody chunks fall into the pool in the background as Eli the vampire tears the bullies limb from limb. You know, those piranhas were real bullies to Kelly uh, <laughs> Brook. And, and isn't the implication, by the way, in that scene that she can fly? No? I think so, yeah. I don't know. We don't know what she's doing to them. I mean, I love that. I mean, that's what's so great about it. Yeah, exactly, like, right. Whatever your mind pick, pictures is so Well, I think it is because she starts off on the roof, doesn't she? But she could crawl down walls maybe or, or just jump down. I don't know. Does she bring them up there? 
Well, she's dropping power. bits of their body into the out in the middle of the pool, so you got to fly out there to do that, right? Oh, I guess she could yeah. be throwing them. Or she's Is, Jesus. Isn't she fucking up his ability to breathe underwater by contaminating the water with blood <laughs> and body? Like, isn't she also bullying him? He doesn't have gills. Hey, Dingus, that was a good movie. I don't know why you're referencing that. <laughs> the postman had gills. What? That's how he delivered the mail so fast. He could stick his envelopes inside the gills, and it was like... Shut up, Codness! <laughs> I think I'm with Arnold and Dingus on that one. Um, Crispy Webb, right? It's number three, Donnie Darko. Donnie bullies... See, here we go. Donnie bullies his teacher by telling her to forcibly insert the lifeline exercise card into her penis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Well, it's not the dumbest thing I've heard tonight. <laughs> or even said. Number two, 20th century women. 15-year-old boy Jamie is being raised in a household comprised primarily of women, which leads to this interaction with another boy at the skate park. Last night I fucked Heather so hard she came like three times. How did you stimulate her clitoris? With my dick. Women need direct clitoral stimulation, like with fingers or a vibrator or something. She probably faked it. Women fake it all the time. The talking heads are a bunch of thags. Actually, there's a girl in their band, and she's dating the drummer, so... Cut to Bully beating the crap out of Jamie while calling him a fucking art thag. <laughs> now I want to see 20th century women. I know, it sounds good. I love when Bully, like, the thing that sets off the bullies is funny. What? Uh, like if you find their zone, like what they like. Oh, you like guns? Fuck you, knives. All right, number one, Punch Drunk Love, The Seven Sisters. Love, Chris W. Are you still gay now, Tom? Oh, the city. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying. I was thinking of the Salt Lake City Brothers. I was like, there's seven. Of yeah, right, right. Those Not boys though, sisters. Remember when you threw the hammer through the window? Yeah, yeah. yeah I did. Remember. Yeah. We were we were calling you gay, and you got so mad you threw the hammer through the window. Are you gay now? <laughs> gay, what's his name? Gay Lord, gay boy. Oh no no no! Right right. We were calling you gay boy, and you got so mad you threw the hammer through the window. Right. Calling you gay boy. Seven sisters. God damn. Imagine. Nick D writes, hey guys, my definition of a bully is someone who uses hostility and abuse repeatedly in order to gain a position of authority over others. So I think these three apply. Sidebar, not going to pick Biff. Number three, dazed and confused. Uh, this, is a good, this is a good choice. Uh, there are too many bullies in this movie, Ben Affleck and Nicky Cat. I'm going to pick Nicky Cat because I think Ben Affleck is kind of just being himself. <laughs> <laughs> He hated making. He's like, no, everyone got work out of that, but me, because I was I was the only asshole in that movie. Ben Affleck hates that movie. Whereas Nikki Cat is actually acting as an aggressive dick who speaks in cliches like, "Don't let your mouth write a check that your butt can't cash," and I only care to do two things: kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. See anime. Number two, Carrie. Oh my God, I forgot to tell you, oh. I watched Carrie a little bit the week and it was pretty funny the chloe moritz grace one no the good one okay but it, it's it super didn't hold up it was kind of i was it was my weird science i was like what the fuck i was watching it was just the end of carrie 
and like the mom yeah piper Lori, right there's yeah. a shot of like a jesus like made out of clay with a bunch of arrows in it there's like a cutaway of it and then the house is falling in on her but she's doing it but her expression is surprised like what what's happening but she's doing like in the house is catching fire it's really dumb brian de palma can be pretty hit or miss i mean yeah yeah. he always was and i've said that i like him yeah carrie is considered one of his high-end movies and i'm just saying it was way dumber than the fury what i was watching right right nancy allen is my favorite female bully oh that yeah she is a that's a classic female bully yeah very good nick yeah Amy Irving's the redeemed bully in that. Sue Snell. That's me, by the way. I remember the bully's names. <laughs> and Carrie. Rachel McAdams wishes she was as mean as Nancy Allen. I love the scene where the gym teacher reams them out for bullying Carrie, and Nancy Allen is just completely unrepentant and only cares about her own prom ticket. <sighs> Number one, the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. Oh. <laughs> wow. Um... This is because mafia bosses or gang bosses, bullies. Michael Gambon plays the bully in the performance of his career and abuses pretty much everyone around him, the restaurant patrons, his underlings, and his wife, while everyone else patiently looks on. I mean, he's called the thief in the title, not the bully. This movie holds up, and not to get too political, but it's hard not to think about certain current day bullies and positions of power while watching this movie, at least in terms of attitude, if not actions. Cheers, Nick. I do that might be that, that might be the most watchable Peter Greenaway movie. A lot of Peter That's Greenaway. That's all the different colored rooms, isn't it? Where it's like green, everything's green in that part. I haven't seen it forever, but I, Peter Greenaway is a very visual director, so I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. yeah. I remember really liking it and going... I get this movie. Like, I understand what's, what it's about, and it's visually really interesting, and the acting's good. So I was pleased with it, as opposed to Man of the Spring. Oh, boy. What's wrong with Man of the Spring? Eh, it's fine. Bad example. You're right. It's the sequel to Jean de Florette. you got to see both of them. It's, the first one's better, because it's got a hunchback in it. That's true. Wow. A hot girl just killing a bunch of people. Come on. I can get that from... Atomic Blonde. She's pretty great. Shut up, Kelly. You're right. I think it's it's one of those things where the revenge seems to lessen because the guys got away with it for decades and now they're too old. Like like they're gonna die anyway. So, you know what I mean? Mm, if you say so. Like Charles Charles Manson had a good run. If you think about it. Kelly, one revenge is a dish best served cold. All right, Klingons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Josh Lubliner writes Hi Kelly, hi QT3, congrats on 10 years I probably didn't do this 3x3 three three right Because I don't even watch anime But I thought about what makes somebody a bully And I came up with two rules They make themselves feel better by making other people feel worse And they pick on targets that they think can't retaliate Of course the canonical bully Is a big kid picking on a little kid Taking his lunch money But it turns out adults can be bullies too Number three Three, if one were to determine what attributes the Jews share with the beast, it would be that, that of the rat. The Fuhrer and Goebbels' propaganda have said pretty much the same thing, but where our conclusions differ is I don't consider the comparison an insult. There might be a thin line between bullying and pure intimidation, but Christoph Waltz's Hans Landa walks both sides. He doesn't even hate Jews. He hunts them because it gives him satisfaction to bully them out of their hiding places. And he has the weight of the Nazi government behind him, so he doesn't fear retaliation. 
And when they can't protect him anymore, he changes sides. It doesn't really work out for him, though. Kelly One, he just godwinned your 3x3. Three three. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, you're lint. You're a flea. You're a blip. Frank Langella. Oh, this is a good Dingus one. Do you remember? recognize that quote, Dingus? Is it Frost versus Nixon? No, I like <laughs> You're close. <laughs> you uh, Dingus, do you recognize that quote? No. Robot and Frank? You're lint. You're a flea. You're a blip. No. It's Frank Langella abusing Kevin Klein and Dave. Oh. Yeah, that's a good one. I think Josh is. That's for you, Dingus. That's yeah. his present to you. Frank's Bob Alexander thinks Klein's Dave can't retaliate because he's not really the president, but it turns out he can. A bully in the White House. What won't they think of next? <laughs> number one, I really wanted my number one pick to be a movie about a religious leader who abuses his power to berate and belittle his subordinates and parishioners. He believes that the power of God will keep him safe from retaliation, but as God abandons him and he is flung to the mercy of his victims. But they show no mercy, but I couldn't think of one. So what I've got is the rapture, where Mimi Rogers goes around telling everyone they're going to hell to give herself a sense of superiority because she's saved. And she knows she's safe from retaliation because God protects her. But, well, maybe she's wrong. It's a weird ending. Thanks. That's uh, Josh Lubliner. Yeah, hey, remember Josh. Tom? Yeah, I thought, I, was, I thought the ending of the rapture is the, it's the real apocalypse. You're like, no, she's nuts the end I, I think michael tolkien is is uh, being ambiguous so i think that's de- a definite a classical example of ambiguity so who can say hmm. uh that's all the listener submissions that was a pretty good turnout yeah, that was an great. amazing turnout kelly wand you know what that means kelly wand that means what? you picked a kick-ass topic good job just like a bully kicks ass <laughs> uh runners up gentlemen oh i was going to ask you if you'd know about a show called cobra kai do you know what that is? No. Yeah. yeah it's the Karate Kid show. Yeah. It's got Ralph Macchio as uh, Daniel Russo, his Karate Kid character, and the blonde bully who gets kicked in the face in the first movie is also in it as a grown man. And it's like they both play their characters like he teaches a karate school and he wants revenge. And it's Elizabeth Shue's been teased for season three. So. See, they have in Karate Kid, they have good bikes. Yeah, that's true. They just need to learn how to kick higher. I haven't seen the show. Have you seen it, Dingus? Because I saw like a trailer for it. Isn't it, it a like... YouTube show? Yeah, it's YouTube no, I, I have Premium, not and you get you get it for free for a month if you don't steal it or something. I don't know. Uh, one of the bullying, and it's more an instance of bullying, and it certainly. The character has an agenda, so I don't think it counts. But uh, I mentioned Cop Car earlier. There's a great bit in Cop Car where Shea Wiggum has to get these kids to do what he says. And he threatens a little kid by asking him questions about like Like he threatens the kid's uh, gerbil and his grandmother. And he lays out in very specific detail what he's going to do to the gerbil and to the grandmother. Uh, just trying to scare this little kid. Uh, yeah. Which is a, it's it's like horrifying and funny. It's just, it's just an instance of a cop car's dark humor. It's a great monologue. Yeah, I, love the I did that for a lot of my auditions. The gerbil, 
thing? Yeah, the, yeah, the other Wait, thing. Did I, you actually do the gerbil <laughs> thing, or did you talk about it and do I'm, that? I'm speech? kidding. I that is long after I'd been doing any auditions, but that Tom would be a great a audition speech. Ensues. Uh, another one this is a great uh, monologue for auditions this isn't a bully so much as a rapist but uh, Jason Patrick's monologue in Your Friends and Neighbors about what he did to Timmy Carter Mm -hmm. uh, that's That's bullying that counts as bullying but I mean at a certain point I mean this is the thing was when you point out Biff as a rapist that's like weird to hear because he's supposed to be a bully but I think once it goes over to, to, to rape which is clearly what Jason Patrick is talking about it starts out as a story about bullying, but once he sodomizes Timmy Carter, I think it becomes something a, a little different. But he's uh, a bully though throughout the movie, and this is that why is true. The rest of his, yeah, yeah. I thought was was like I think that was a one-time thing. For the blah, rest blah, of this. Blah, no, he's not a serial bully like Jason Patrick. Blah, Jason Patrick, blah, what? Dingus thinks. Dingus, are you saying that Jason Patrick's character and your friends and neighbors is exactly like Emilio Estevez's character in Breakfast Club? Is that what you're trying to tell us? That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> All right, well, we got that out of him, Kelly Wand. <laughs> physics, uh, I got physics, physics books. Uh, Tom, you reminded me of something when you brought up uh, Brendan Sexton because, um, or the third, sorry, because he was in Session 9, wasn't he? Yes, yes. Um, I don't so, think he was a bully though. Like he was the new kid, if I'm not mistaken, right? No, he wasn't. But but what that my, what my brain did was it went to Peter Mullen, and then it went to Kid A or Boy A. Sorry, Boy A, um, which uh, which is the story of two boys who are inadvertent bullies at the beginning. Yeah. They're not. They're because one of my favorite lines from that movie is "We're the trolls, mate." And it turns out that they're they're actually bullies. And it, Andrew Garfield turns out to be this sort of innocuous guy when he grows up. But he, as a child, he's he's a terrible person. It's uh, definitely one of those examples like the Jason Patrick speech where it starts out being bullying. But once it crosses a certain line, it's right. something else entirely that's transcended just mere bullying. Yeah. Right. yeah. I'm kind um, we never see that character again, Jason Patrick, like, like in another movie. And I thought of uh, Vizzini from uh, Princess Bride, but really he's a boss. Um, but I like that he's got that Napoleon complex where he's going after Fezzig, you know, unemployed in Greenland thing. Um, and the and somebody who brought up the cook, the thief, the wife, and his lover made me think of Joe Pesci in, in Goodfellas. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a classic bullying maneuver, that whole you think I'm a clown. That's a great – yeah. How do we miss that? Yeah. Um, the shine and, box guy. And then there's uh um then there's I think the the character's name is Hodge, but it's the character that uh that um that Stanley Tucci does not choose to be Captain America because they, even though he's a, a buff dude who's passed every test, he actually literally calls him he's he said he's a bully. And what my formula does is it accentuates the characteristics you already have and that's why he goes with steve rogers in the end because uh, the formula will accentuate what he already has and this other character who is the classic american soldier as far as uh, uh oh god who's the guy who leads the forces uh tommy Nick lee jones Fury. tommy lee jones is concerned is he's like he's the perfect soldier and he's like yeah but he's a bully Stanley Tucci is in a, a Captain America movie. Ugh. 
He's in the first Avenger, which you guys both liked. Okay, fair enough. Good point. Uh-huh. America dances in that. I can't believe so. In in Welcome to the Dollhouse, there's the lead singer that her brother. So her brother's in yeah. a band, that, and he plays clarinet. They're called the Quadronics. Welcome to the Dollhouse. Exactly. So they have to get a lead singer. So there's the hot guy from school that they bring over that Heather Matarazza falls in love with. They've got a, some great scenes together. His character's name, and I can't believe that Marvel has screwed me up so bad that this is what I think of. His character's name is Steve Rogers. Which I'm positive was not a Captain America reference. It's just Todd Solon's making up a name, but nope, I, he's making me think of stupid Captain America. Great, nice work, Marvel. Well, are just like, you know, alpha male looking dudes. What's well, his generic man. name? It's such a generic Steve Rogers. Right. Come on. Yeah. So. What was what was the hunk's name in eighth grade that she liked? Oh, Jarrett. No, Jarrett. No, shoot. The one that, that would that would, would be Dingus. Oh, what was yeah, his the name? Yeah, Dingus. What? The, the I want to say it's like Jared. It's not Jared. It's something like that. I just keep thinking of him as Dingus, so I just assume that's his name. Yeah, it's totally Dingus. Like, Dingus is so close to the movie, he can't even see it. Like, he's so close yeah. to that character. Yeah. Okay, I'm... Because him, he does, it's like, look, he just sees through that character because it's him. Like it's Right, right. Dingus is like transparent. It's like looking at glass. Mm-hmm. Um, Classic Dingus. <laughs> Aiden. His name is Aiden. Where did I get J- Jared? See? <laughs> yeah, Aiden. Aiden. <laughs> That's such a dingus name. Exactly. Dingus equals Aiden, right? Yeah. Dingus is Aiden. Good work, uh, Dingus. All right. Speaking of Aiden, Dingus, what do you have for us for the next 3x3? Three three? <laughs> all right. Your favorite screams are screaming. We haven't done this one? That's a good one. There's no way we haven't done that. Are you serious? I, I can think of two. I have two number ones already. Dingus. I have to think about this for a month. I've already got mine. Let's do it now. All right. No horror movies. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that coming. Does Edward Munch count? Well, actually, you, you made me think of it, Tom, because of your uh, what you talked about with, uh, with a movie we did a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, no, I'm trying to think. What... Crawl? What? what? N- no, oh, no, 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 right, right, yeah, yeah, the uh, warbling sound. Yeah, yeah. You know what, just take it off the table, because it probably inspired the topic. Tell the listeners what you're talking about. Uh, it's in Ready or Not, her screaming, and what's her name again? I forget oh, her name. Samara Weaving, come on. Oh, Samara Weaving, Dingus, yeah. remember that uh, name. She just oh. says this weird thing with her voice near the as the movie progresses, where she starts to do this almost tribal sound of warbling this scream that's that's blood curdling um because she's just trembling with fear but also i mean she's losing control but also coming into this ability to be a more strong character uh it's a really great balance and i loved that you brought it up all right, so let, so that's off the table. That's obviously the best movie screen scream of all time. But let's think of some others. Dingus, what if the listeners are like me and they've already got two number ones? All right, they should write into three by three at quarter three dot com. That's three x three at quarter to three dot com. All spelled out, please. Kelly. Now, Kelly. Oh no, go ahead, Tom. No, I, I do. Kelly Wand, tell the listeners what movie they should see this week and how they can tell us what they thought of it. I guess we're seeing The Lighthouse this mm-hmm. week, and if you liked it, no, not if you liked it. If you Who cares it, if you liked it, yeah. Yeah, I don't care if you liked it. It's a it movie that you, you cannot like see without having a strong opinion. Yeah, that's, a tr- that's true. It's probably not for Dingus, 
So <laughs> that's what the poster would say. <laughs> Why didn't you save that for the podcast, Kellyanne? Because I want a little challenge. So uh, send us your lighthouse thoughts to 3x3 at quarter to three dot com by midnight, November 3rd, midnight Pacific. Uh, there oh, might yeah. be some uh, daylight savings <laughs> shenanigans in there. Do the math on your own. Uh, and if you want to participate in the 3x3, well, you got a month. Make sure we get that by midnight, November 24th. Uh, and we'll read that stuff on the air. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I've been here with Christian Malinsky. It's Christian Morosky. And with Kelly Wand. Remember when Tom got upset because Judge Dredd bullied a psychotic murderess by extending her life? One, two, three, not only you and me, got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between counting. One, two, three, eat a partner free, getting down with three feet, everybody loves I am not bullying Kostnerd. I'm only emasculating and undermining him for being weaker and more literate than me. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. Dingus, I just peed on my shoe again. Yes, can you tell us about the temperatures, though, Kyle? This water's cold, Dingus, and deep. 